and brightest day and blackest night all other podcasts tremble in fright losers cower before the power oranges lust and blues you can trust indigos feel and white ones heal yellow scare and green ones dare that sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 234. Yay! A step up from Threshold. Yes. Uh, we are doing October books. That means Green Lantern 45, Green Lantern Star Trek number 4, Lost Army number 5, Sinestro number 16, and Lobo number 12. 11. 11. 11. Yes. Sorry, Lobo 12 came out today. Um, yeah, that is yeah, that is true. <laughs> but uh, Mark's going to kick us off with Green Lantern uh, number 45, the final showdown with Black Hand, which is funny because it's not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because like, like ne- because the very next issue is Relic joins the final showdown with Black Hand. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, it's not funny because I figured you were going to pick up on it, but that's one of the things that I picked up on too when, when you see that. Besides the natural uh, – Reaction to laugh when you see the final anything in comics because it makes you want to go ha 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 because you damn well know it wouldn't be no matter what. But it's just a funny funny thing that it doesn't even resolve the story arc since it's <laughs> it's in the issue that came out today. Uh, so it's Green Lantern 45. Um, as Chad said, the the cover the title on the cover says the final showdown with Black Hand and of course ha ha ha. It's not the uh, creative team is Robert Venditti, the writer, penciler Billy Tan, inker Mark Irwin, colorist Alex Sinclair, letterer Dave Sharp. So, basically, we, the issue begins on Inspector uh, 3052. You have Virgo and Trapper pretty much chilling on this beautiful planet because Hal has kind of like left them, left them behind to go do his own thing. And this kind of follows a narrative structure of the past few issues where it kind of keeps jumping between the between where we are currently and, and where we were earlier. So this is where supposedly we are now, and then it pops to, uh, and as they're talking about, you know, as, as uh, Virgo is talking about, you know, I wonder where Hal is. I hope, you know, I hope you know, hope he had a good reason to leave us. They sh- it's a, n- a nice double splash page of Hal basically going toe-to-toe with Black Hand, but he's basically using energy constructs to hold on to kind of like, lock lock hands with Black Hand, because as we find out later on that even Black Hand's powers are so screwed up now he can even turn energy constructs to stone. This guy's all kinds of screwed up. <laughs> so now we go, so now we've again following the narrative structure. Now we flip back to earlier, whether on Darlene and basically Hal is having Darlene basically fo- follow Black Hand's trail of damage and basically project where he's going to go next. You know, Virgo and Trapper pretty much are. At the end of the day, once Hal gets his coordinates, he pretty much tells them that you know he's he he's got he's kind of got to do this on his own, and you guys you know you guys just more or less uh, you know you stay with Darlene you know 
you know, she's in charge. You go where she goes. The only, the only order I'm not giving her to, is to not is basically to is to not follow me. Uh, and, and she's and she's and of course Darlene's all, all pro like I'll follow that to the letter because you know she doesn't want to go anywhere with Hal to begin with. Um, for trap Virgo and Virgo and Hal have a cute little moment because you know Virgo is kind of sensing at this point he's got a good idea of who Hal is and what his makeup is. And as he so eloquently puts, it's like, I've known people like you. You can't stop intervening like it's a compulsion. And, you know, Virgo's basically looking for answers, and he's just trying to try to figure out what's going on with Hal. And, you know, like, what does it matter to you if one more planet turns to stone? It's a large universe of planets, you know, of pla- planets to go around. And Hal's kind of being the real Green Lantern that he is, you know, it, is, it isn't supposed to be this way, the core is supposed to be, cha- you know, it's supposed to be basically chasing me, reclaiming his good name, and, it, and now everything's gotten screwed up, plus he just can't let, you know, this, uh, the black hands, you know, what he's doing continue unchecked, and he just kind of make a deal as Virgo, as he refers to Virgo, as pretty much the closest thing he has to as a friend right now, though once he gets back, whatever real, you know, anything you want to ask me, I'll be, on, I'll, I'll answer it honestly, but for now I gotta go, you know, I gotta go do what I gotta do. So if I'm alive at the end of this, then you have me. So as we go to Space Sector 2819, where, as it says, a f- moments ago it was a thriving world, but now everything's turned to stone because Black Hand, of course, was there. Um, you know, he's kind of lamenting. You know, he's he's never gonna get to play with the dead again. He's like, what happened to me? And of course, then Hal be kind of being cloaked. Again, kind of reminds me Spectre-esque. Hal's kind of like, you know, I think I might have an idea, and I'm going to fix it. <laughs> and insane black hand being the way he is, is like, no, no teasing. <laughs> can it be like before? Like, can it be? Can it go back to normal? Like normal for you? Well, maybe. Uh, you know, black hand kind of, kind of lamenting again. You know what's going on, and Hal's trying, and Hal's trying to convince him again, keeping his face covered at this point. Even though you think Black Hammer kind of pick up on the green energy signature, at least noticing that that alone should get his spider sense going off. But, you know, but Pal basically wants Black Hand to follow him and stop touching stuff. We're going to go back to the source wall. I think we can probably figure out what's going on and maybe work around the, uh, you know, this, this issue. You know, Black Hand now starts getting really, he starts getting nervous, but he asks who, he, again, he asks who you are and Hal just has a friend. And he goes, I don't have any friends, not that any that aren't dead. And then, you know, at this point, it's like uh, he, he's refusing to follow Hal. And then Hal, you know, removes the cloak and goes, I'm not a stranger, Black Hand. It's me, Hal Jordan. And then that, that kind of freaks Black Hand out. And he, and basically the next few panels, or the next few pages, I should say, are confrontation between Hal and Black Hand, including the fact that Hal now realizes the extent of what Black Hand can do because Black Hand kind of like knocks some of the frozen in stone, in case turned to stone corpses at Hal. Hal puts up an energy construct to block it, and as soon as the body of the, just the body, you know, the, the turned to stone corpse hits his energy construct, it starts uh, turning to stone. So then Hal now realizes that, you know, this is really, probably even worse than he thought. And, you know, Hal's, so Hal and Black Hand pretty much play play this game back and forth. They, they, they duke it out for a while. You know, they, 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 in the middle of this fight, they you know they cut back to uh, to Virgo and Trapper and Darlene, just about you know enjoying the moment, smelling the roses. Uh, even take 
the whole idea of you know, just embracing the moment, almost like a little vacation for them, which is contrasted nicely with the fact that Hal is really fighting for his life at this point, trying to figure out figuring out a way to uh, get Black Hand under control. Black Hand, you know, if Hal finally you know decks Black Hand with a huge energy construct fist. Uh, he makes an energy construct wrecking ball, pretty much, and he, and he, and he, and he takes him out. Letting go, you know, letting go of the construct before I get back to him to turn him to stone. So Black Hand's out cold, and at this point, uh, pretty much Hal just says, you know, you're a monster, Hand. You live and everyone else dies. It's time I buried you for good. And next issue, the end of the Black Hand. I think we're willing to bet that won't be the end of the Black Hand regardless. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, did you read it today? I only saw the few pages of the preview. I wanted, to, I had dinner planned, so I, I wanted to stop to get my books today, but I didn't. So I'm going to try to get them tomorrow. Um, I actually, I don't get very many uh, uh, new issues anymore, like hard copies. I, I too wanted to stop by the LCS today, though, and uh, not get Green Lantern 46, but get uh, Scooby Doo Team Up number 13 <laughs> <laughs> because it's a team up with the Spectre. Phantom Stranger. Oh, that's where that panel's from. Okay. Yeah. The, the Spectre, Phantom Stranger, and Dead Man team up with the Scooby and the gang. <laughs> I'm like, there's um, a natural team up. <laughs> hell yes, please. Um, but anyways, um, did you read the Green Lantern? Uh, yes, I did read it. I read the digital version of it. Um, non spoilery Was it interesting? At least. No. I, didn't think um, so. I was afraid you were going to say that. Not surprised, but I was. But. Um. Hmm. It's all right. You don't have to go. I mean, I'll know. No, no, no. I'm just kind of starting because uh, I'm, I'm reading this, di- looking at this uh, with you digitally. So I was just getting back to the first page. Um, well, first of all, before we even get into the story, the villains or, or the uh, the monsters variant cover. Did you see that? For, for which? Of, for for what? this issue? Oh, for Green. Oh no! Oh no! I don't think so. For Green Lantern 45. Yeah, Green Lantern 45 had a variant cover. It was October was their Monsters of the Month variant cover month. Um, this is an homage to, oh, God, I'm the Green Lantern, Green Arrow, uh, quote-unquote expert, and I don't know the na- the number, the issue number off the top of my head. The the introduction of Jon Stewart, where it's Jon Stewart holding a yeah, Hal, unco- right. unconscious Hal, and it says, you know, they whipped the Green Lantern. Now let's see if they can whip me, that whole thing. Yes. But it's Jon Stewart on the ground, and he's being dragged along by a zombie Hal Jordan. No, I don't think they pulled the – speaking of which, now you raised another concern for me because I know this was the uh, – today's issue of Green Lantern was the Marvin the Martian variant cover. So I'm kind of going to – Yes. So I'm really uh, – of, of all the covers, especially since I'm a big Marvin the Martian guy too, if they, don't, if they didn't pull that one for me, I'm going to kind of be disappointed. But I guess I'll find out tomorrow. No, I just I, I just thought I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, mention it. And it looks like the variant might be by Neil. Let me see. Um, yeah, I don't think they pulled that one. For Monsters, me. Monsters variant cover. Neil Adams and Alex Sinclair. Yep, because I see it looks like Neil. So yes, this is absolutely a shout out to that first appearance of John Stewart. So that's cool. Uh. I know it was a thrilling issue, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, it doesn't help. I had a long day at work. Uh, this uh, the only thing, the only problem I have with this, other than this is 
kind of a filler issue. Yeah, there is a feel. There is a feel of filler to it. I was just I thinking mean, that stuff. Stuff happens, but it's it's a filler. It feels like a filler issue. Uh, the only problem I have with it, other than the the feel that I got from it, was I don't know about constructs being able to become stone. But then again, you know. Well, I guess. Yeah, I was I was gonna say if you if you work from the premise that anything at all that comes into contact with the source wall or source wall material turns to stone, whether it's living tissue, whether it's machinery, whatever, then I guess it would make sense that a that something that's just based of energy again, if it, if if it's a solid and solid energy construct, which is what these are, that if they come into contact with it, uh, it would turn to stone. It's certainly up the ante for as far as making the fight more more you know, even greater stakes than usual with the fact that it's not like Hal was safe by behind his energy constructs so I could I did I, I did so I did kind of like that aspect it did kind of make it more challenging that that even if he creates an energy construct and he, and he, and he uses that to fight black hand you know if that if black hand touches it or it touches something black hand already turned to stone the construct turns to stone and if Hal doesn't pretty much end the construct before it starts channeling back to that final you know connection to his gauntlet then he's then he's going to be screwed right which is which is interesting as a concept because you see him doing cool stuff with it like he can't even walk across the surface of this planet without so he creates little you know stepping stones out of constructs right and those are turning into stone as he's stepping across them so there's that Hmm. yeah that 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 detail aspect that is that was that was pretty good. You know, so there were some good details when it came to that. Um. Otherwise, I don't I don't know that there's much here, even in the stuff with Virgo and Trapper and Hal. I mean, I guess you have a nice moment like that moment you said between Virgo and Hal. Right. It's there's there's, there's a little bit of more bo- bonding of bonding the three of them, especially bonding Virgo with Hal. The two that are probably have, on this, from a from a, as like from a personality aspect of wanting to do right or whatever that they probably have more in common when you look at the aspect maybe of the, you know, and obviously the, from the warrior aspect obviously Trapper and Hal have more in common so I guess it's almost like a you know two sides of the coin maybe with Hal and the two parts of him which maybe Virgo and Trapper essentially or code anyway represent so it's kind of a but yeah there's there's, there's there's not a whole lot there. I mean, Black Hand is cool. I still like, don't know if I'm in time. I this, like I've mentioned before, this this goofy this goofy insane Black Hand kind of makes me laugh at times. So I do. I've kind of appreciated the way the character has been since they brought him back in the uh, the you know the forever was it Forever Evil month? That's when all those books were when they first brought him back. Mm-hmm. That. Uh, but I still don't know. I still don't know if I really like this version compared to the like the Blackest Night version. Now you know how I feel about Larflees. Right. They make they make these uber powerful characters into a joke, uh, and, and there's there's this uh, air of you know hilariousness at it. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess with Black Hand, it's not as bad as they do with Larflees. But it looks like they're on the road to it, and I'm not cool with it. I mean, I guess Black Hand is a little out of his element, and it kind of makes sense that he'd be slowly going mad because. Or madder. (laughs) Yeah. Regardless of his connection with death and Necron and all of that, 
he still was always really earth based and now he's just out in the stars and you know wandering wandering the wastelands and you know not being able to do his thing and so this he is in unfamiliar territory really not just physical location wise like where he's at in space but unfamiliar territory in that he can't do the the one thing that makes him feel comfortable com, com, comfortable i guess well, it certainly makes him feel complete, and it makes him, and, and probably, if, probably the only joy he gets is out of bringing things back. So, so the aliens on this planet look interesting. Like when he's holding that skull, like doing a, you know, a last Poyuric moment. It kind of looks like an alien, like from Aliens, like a xenomorph head. <laughs> you know what it looks like? What? Indiana Jones Four. Yeah, it does look like a crystal skull too. But then on the next page, if you look at the aliens, besides kind of looking maybe Crystal Skull-like, it almost looks St. Walker-like, too, the one that's frozen. Yeah, that's true. So, but, but yeah, so, it wasn't, I mean, because it's Black Hand versus Hal, that kind of, that kind of made, kind of made it a pretty decent issue, but do I think there was a lot, you know, there was anything, anything awe-inspiring in this issue? No, I think, no, I think it was a pretty, like we've, I think we kind of touched on it was, it was a pretty quick read, and the more interesting things is the way Hal had to adjust on the fly to using the energy constructs, which was pretty cool to see. And even some of the, and not just how he has to make the constructs, be, or and just, but just the ones that he makes are kind of cool, like the bear and stuff like that. Those are pretty cool. The ants that are holding him up. Yeah, I mean, so it's a pretty, pretty creative for Hal, for Hal using the, uh, for using the ring. Right. And he actually doesn't look so bad in this. I mean, he's fighting when he's fighting Black Hand. He actually looks a little better than than usual. From when the you know when from when Billy Billy's drawn him, he looks actually pretty good in action for most of those panels. So. All right. Uh, anything else? No, I for think this particular that, one. No, I think with a lot of these issues, I think. Uh, I think I might luckily draw most of the issues that I have, which is fine. I mean, there's, they're pretty much, you know, they are what they are. You know, they're on the surface, and there's not that much to, you know, to delve into. Once you get to maybe, like, Sinestro, I think Sinestro, there's more stuff. But All right. Star Trek Green Lantern number four. Um, this is from, of course, IDW and DC Comics, written by Mike Johnson, art by Angel Hernandez. Colors by Alejandro Sanchez and letters by Neil Utake. Um, so we open uh, with sort of Star Sapphire's perspective, Carol's perspective on things. Uh, a little more uh, information on what happened before the uh, the last light uh, that Ganth had enacted happened. Basically, Blackest Night Part Two. Um, so. Just kind of, you know, recapping that their universe was at an end and Ganthet did what he could to save us. But, you know, I think in doing so, he only doomed this universe as well. And Hal's like, well, well, how? The last light protocol essentially was meant to affect only ring wielders. And Necron is, is the opposite of that. He's entropy. And Spock says, theoretically... Entropy is an intrinsic part of every universe. If Miss Sapphire is correct and this Necron is a manifestation of entropy, he would most likely exist in some form in every possible universe. 
Um, she says he's correct, but he doesn't, you know, uh, he doesn't change as he moves between the realities. He's the same force. And, and, uh, uh, Kirk is like, well, you, you said you beat him once before. Why can't you do it again? And Hal says, because Necron isn't stupid. We beat him the first time thanks to Kyle Rayner, the White Lantern. Kyle had the unique ability to unite the power of all the different Lantern Corps. This time Necron took him out first before Kyle could harness the entire spectrum again. And obviously we'll talk about that when we yeah. get to the end of this issue big time. Yeah, Mark texted me about that before I could ever even read the yeah. issue. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean – did I tell you – did I say specifically what it was or just – No, I, just no, kind of you didn't. Tight, yeah, because it's, it's kind of hard to overlook. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, okay, so uh, – and Hal's like, oh, and by the way, we need to – our rings need to be recharged by batteries, which there are none because Necron destroyed them all. But hopefully your doctor can – essentially repair St. Walker and he can keep all of us charged. Um, but you know, we need, we need help basically, you know, there's, there's no, there's no batteries, there's no new lanterns and Kirk's like a no win scenario. Jordan, you've come to the right ship. <laughs> and then over on Romulus, we see Larflees and De- uh, Decius, I guess is how you're supposed yeah, to say it. Yeah, I think it's Decius. Uh, fighting against one one another, Decius tries to use his Senator Lanterns to attack Larflees. That doesn't work because, of course, all that is orange is under Larflees' control. He asks Decius for more information on his territorial expansion and stuff like that, and the destiny of the Romulan Empire and all of that. And De- uh, Decius warns Larflees about uh, the the Federation. And how, you know, for too long we have stagnated in, in, in a uh, detente with the Federation. Ooh, I hate stagnating. Tell me, does this Federation have anything I would want? Uh, and then back over on the Enterprise, uh, on the Enterprise uh, Scotty um, is being taken care of by Dr. McCoy, being offered, you know, cookies and tomato soup and hot chocolate and all the, this stuff. And uh, uh, Scotty kind of remarks that McCoy is, you know, you haven't seen these scowl once today. And he says, I guess I just feel a little more compassionate right now. <laughs> you sure you don't want a cookie or anything? Um, and he says, no, I'm good. And then you see a kind of interesting panel, which I'm kind of interested to see where they go with this. And they've already got so much being covered and, and so much left to cover in two more issues. But they drop a hint here that uh, Scotty is looking over the schematics of the rings and says, studying schematics, uh, I've managed to scan of something that would be fascinating to replicate. And it's a scan of the rings. Um, Carol offers to to uh, train Uhura in the use of her ring, but she says, no, I'm good. I'm still Starfleet officer first. Uh, you know, Captain, I'm picking up a, a, an SOS. Um, a base is under attack by some sort of energy weapon. Um, and, you know, Hal's like, well, that could be other lanterns. Uh, Kirk tells Chekhov to set course for for the, the base. Hal says he'll meet him there. Um, flies off, and then Kirk's, uh, Kirk's like, does, does that guy ever even think before he acts? And Spock says a question, which I'm entirely <laughs> familiar, Captain. And Kirk's like, what are you... Oh, good one, Spock. <laughs> <laughs> And they fly off. Um, 
this base is actually under attack by uh, Atrocitus and Glaucon. Um, they're trying to draw the Federation out, or at least Glaucon is. Atrocitus is like, feel my wrath, and t- attacking all these ships. And then he's hit by a bolt of... Uh, a, a blast of yellow energy, and it says, I've seen your full wrath before, monster. I was not impressed. And it's Sinestro... And the Klingons, uh, Klingons, several, uh, I know enough about Star Trek, they're called Warbirds, right? Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey? Yeah. Damn it. Uh, did not, so, yeah, so much for being cocky. Uh, uh, they fight against one another uh, for just a minute before Hal arrives and sucker punches uh, Sinestro. Um, looks like Hal and, uh, and, uh, the Enterprise arrived at the same time, so whatever. They start their, you know, atypical fight. Uh, Chekhov fires a, uh, with the uh, Enterprise onto Sinestro, amped, uh, amped up, of course, by his Blue Lantern energy. How, or Sinestro takes over the Enterprise with his yellow energy and makes, uh, puts uh, uh, its entire crew um, in, you know, the grips of fear. This incapacitates them and knocks them out. Hal takes over the Enterprise, uh, sits in the captain's chair, and creates a massive Enterprise construct around the actual Enterprise, uh, ready to take on supposedly every lantern on the negative side of the emotion, uh, emotional spectrum. And then 47 light years away, former loca- location of the Vulcan homeworld, rise. And some, some looks. Like, I guess these are Vulcans start rising from the dirt, to be continued. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so without sounding like I'm being a douchebag, uh, but since it's the only way I can phrase this, what was your problem with Kyle Rayner? <laughs> because that's not has has nothing to do with what happened in Blackest Night. Okay, well elaborate. Tell people. I mean. Well, first of all, in all honesty, Kyle's role in Black as Night was pretty minimal, other than being killed. <laughs> he was killed. He was killed and brought back. And if, if and the biggest thing about that, besides pushing Guy into the onto the red side of the force for the first time, you could say that was Kyle's true moment of being actually chosen by. That if there's any doubt, regardless of which incarnation of of his origin you want to go back to, but you know the retcon version or the original. Uh, you know, Green Lantern 51 version, that this is finally the, Green Lantern 50 technically, that that was the moment when Kyle's ring came back to him because he was worthy, you know, he was chosen for worthiness. So that, that, but Kyle had nothing to do, had, literally had pretty much nothing to do with the defeat of Necron and, and Blackest Night. That had to do more with, certainly had a hell of a lot more to do with Sinestro than it had to do with Kyle. It had to do with Hal you know, too, because of the fact that Sinestro had the white entity in him, and then the and then you know the uh, once the white entity was cut out of him, the white entity pretty much gave power to Hal and all the other a lot of the rest of the the uh, heroes to become the, the the temporary White Lantern Corps and everything else like that. So Kyle, Kyle, first of all, Kyle wasn't even a White Lantern at, <laughs> during Blackest Night; he was still the Green Lantern. So Kyle didn't become Kyle didn't become a a White Lantern to the New 52. That was to the end of, like, the first story arc in New Guardians. So. Hmm. so. 
Yeah, I was going to say it could be based on, you know, retconning the past uh, of, the, of the New 52 universe, but even like, like you just said, it, it, within the New 52, he didn't become a White Lantern for the first time until, you know, 12 issues plus in. Yeah, I, I think unfortunately it's this is an example of somebody not doing their homework, I would have to say, which is, which is unfortunate cause it's, because it's – because of anybody who's, anybody who's reading at all who remembers Blackest Night, it stands out like a sore thumb. It's like it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, they could have tied it into why he took Kyle out first because that was their ace in the hole this time. That they that he thought that Necron, that Necron thought that even though he saw the numbers advantage this time, that Kyle's ability basically, of course, if Kyle could, <laughs> if Kyle could use the White Ring the way logically he should be able to, or or you were you'd be able to if you had the entity in you, which is, or however you want we. We've talked about the you know the inconsistency with the White Lantern power, but White Lanterns before Kyle became one seemingly had the ability to resurrect, bringing people truly back to life. Certainly, we know the entity itself had that ability. So if Kyle had actually had the actual ability to bring back people back to life, truly back to life, then 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 Kyle could have been a real threat on that level to begin with. Forget about bringing the emotional spectrum together. He could have he could have equaled out the odds or took away Necron's huge advantage if he needed to. So it would make sense that Necron could could have they could have written it so he could have the, that's why they went after he went after Kyle first to make sure that besides harnessing the spectrum that he was unable to possibly resurrect people or enough people from the of, from the dead to take away the advantage that Necron had. But t- doing it the way they did, plus even the uniform they're drawn, I mean they're, sh- they're showing him in like his Ion uniform. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I that. I think it, it would have been a hard mistake not to catch, but the fact that it happens like on the third page of the book makes it re- kind of like sours. At least for me, it soured my taste on this book, on this particular chapter right off the bat. So now, so so what you're saying is this could have been fixed with a different word bubble, not necessarily by changing what you're seeing here. Yeah, they could have sh- they could have shown Kyle being taken out, and they could have made it. They could have explained why it was important. That Kyle was being taken out, and why probably has gotten them, helped get them in the situation where they are, by by trying to do the you know the retconning of Blackest Night to something that any again anybody who read Blackest Night, certainly Green Lantern fans who read Blackest Night know that that had that was completely that is a retcon that doesn't even make sense because again you know, the 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 only the only the only I mean yes you could say when Hal and Superman and all those had the you know had the white you know, where White Lanterns momentarily during the, you know, near the final battle with Blackest, in, in Blackest Night. Other than that, the only true White Lantern we got in that entire series was actually Sinestro. So the mm-hmm. only, so the closest thing to one White Lantern, or, you know, so, someone who could have technically been in charge of the emotional spectrum by being a White Lantern. And plus it also, and, and plus again, it kind of, not perverts, because we've seen a different, we've, We've seen how I guess you can become a White Lantern in more than one way, but in in, uh, in Blackest Night, becoming a White Lantern had nothing to do with mastering all of the emotional spectrum. It had to do with basically having power, either from the entity one way or the other. So. Hmm. Um. I I do have one qualm with the art, um, and. It's Larfleys. Yeah, he does. Uh, he looks crap. He certainly looks crappy when he's. Actually, he looks crappy on every panel. Actually, I thought I was going to say that maybe he looked better on the second page, but no, he looks. 
He looks really. He looks like a wolf, like a werewolf with like teeth hanging out of his head. Yeah, exactly. Larflees does not have a flat face. He has a snout like a dog. Reread Agent Orange, his first appearance in storyline. Thank and he, you. And he looked better last issue too. Yeah, he did. He did. He did. He, not the he, cover. The cover looked crappy too. Yes. But but the but in the actual art, especially. But then again, we didn't get too much of a close-up of him, right? We just got him from, yeah. from above, looking down on Decius over there. Uh, so that. So. No, I'm just saying. I'm every time I see Larflees, I'm quick to point out the people who draw him like this, uh, because it's. I think Monkey or somebody drew him like this, and I didn't like it then. And now everybody has been following in that stu- that 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 step, and that is not how Larflees looks. Like, you can have fun with the details, but don't mess up his facial structure, okay? He is not – like, on this panel right here where he says, ooh, I hate stagnating, he looks like a human with horns on the side of his face, red eyes, and lots and lots of hair. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a Sinestro-shaped head almost. He actually mm-hmm. looks very much like Sinestro, actually, just with a hairy face. But, you know, well, they tend they, you know, they tend, they tend to draw him like the Grinch now. Yes, Larflees has a snout. Agent Orange, uh, what was that? That was uh, issues thirty something. Yeah, uh, wasn't before that like... Blackest Night. Yeah, wasn't... reread that. Art yeah. by Billy Tan, or not uh, Billy Philip Tan. Philip Tan. Philip Tan. Check it out. That is how Larflees looks. Use it. Um, otherwise, and and you know, guys, we've always, uh, I've been really. Uh, uh, you know, hyping up this series since it started coming out, and I'm still excited by it. It's just, you know, details like that, and the Kyle Rayner thing bothers me a bit, but, you know, the colors are still epic. I'm still interested. I'm still enjoying it. It's still at the top of my lantern stack when it comes to my reading pile, so there's that. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, I'm not going to, you know, give it a free pass on certain things just because I'm liking it so much. Uh, otherwise, you know, the art is pretty great throughout it. I mean, the colors are still great, you know. Um, there's, you know, the weird stuff here and there. Sinestro looks amazing. Um, you know, uh, their panels where Atrocitus looks weird and panels where Atrocitus looks awesome. So, you know, there's it's just like any other comic book, you know, there's good spots and there's bad spots, but I think that this is by and large still, a, you know, a fun action packs, you know, pretty good book. Um, you know, the moments between star Sapphire and Ahura were kind of funny, especially towards the beginning where Carol calls Spock handsome. Yes. And Ahura's like a handsome friend. What? <laughs> but, uh, you know, otherwise, otherwise it's a cool thing. A couple of things though. Uh, Hal says specifically, um, our rings need to be recharged by power batteries. Necron destroyed them all. Okay. What's Larflee's holding? That is true. So I don't know if that's a mistake or if that's going to come into play. Uh, regardless, I think it's worth pointing it out. Also thinks it's worth pointing out, even though I already did it during the recap what do you think they plan on doing with Scotty and his uh, schematics things there? You can only assume they're going to make more rings, but see, to be fair, I think if you go back and you actually look at the picture, I think Hal's talking about the the. I think, I think he means that the central power batteries were destroyed. 
But Larfleeze's power power battery is his central power battery. Yeah, I know, but that's why he's probably not factoring in factoring in Larfleeze's. But besides Larfleeze, technically his battery, well, it's still technically a mistake. Larfleeze's battery can't. It's not. It's not like we're in Relic's world where seemingly any battery can co- can power any uh, ring, uh, depending on the circumstance. And if you have enough of the same color, you can override basically the defaults and turn it. We know in our universe that up to this point it doesn't work that way. So Lorfleet's having his own battery, and plus at this point they, I mean they, they don't actually know Lorfleet's made it through. They assume he made it through, right? Yeah. But they, well, I guess they, you, they might assume Lorfleet's made it through. Um, well, Hal knows at least that the orange ring has found a bearer. Right. And at this point, he knows Sinestro is here and Atrocitus is here. But that's like at the and end of the Carol point. and Saint Walker. So yeah, I mean it's safe to assume Lorf, but I'm saying at the time he's saying it, you know, Hal hasn't physically confronted, uh, he hasn't confronted Sinestro, he hasn't confronted Atrocitus. But he has confronted Carol and Saint Walker. Oh yeah, he so. knows that they're there. I know. I'm, I'm just saying that until he, the whole gang hasn't been physically brought back together yet. I mean, Indigo One's not around. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen Indigo One at all, right? No. So who knows if. The thing that's also that is also interesting is, which does play into current, seemingly what where they're going with in the current continuity. They talk about the idea that theoretically Saint Walker could, once he's back up and running, that he might be able to recharge all of them. Which goes back to the premise that, of what Sinestro is trying to do in his book, which is basically unlock the secrets of the Blue Ring, so basically it can it can work off of all the other rings, and basically base basically how. Ideally, I guess so. In a perfect, in a perfect universe, not that Sinestro wants it to be for every ring; he just wants it to be for the yellows right now. But ideally, the blue rings might, they may be, they may be capable of being able to get a full charge and unleash their full capacity from any other color in the spectrum, just like they're capable of charging up every other color in the spectrum. So that's kind of what that's kind of what kind of what they're hinting at. I find it interesting on the inside cover page when they when they do the rundown of the characters. They have they have Carol Ferris listed as the queen of the Star Sapphire Corps, but yet Saint Walker's only a member of the Blue Lantern Corps. <laughs> Not even the leader. <laughs> He's a member of the Blue Lantern Corps. Well, I think at last count, Carol was the queen of the Star Sapphires. I thought they. Yeah, I don't think that's current continuity anymore. Didn't they take it away? She. I thought she was no longer the queen. I thought she gave it back up. I thought I she might have. I thought she did. I mean, they never gave you a panel that said that she gave it up, but I thought they—I thought she was back on. I thought they showed her back on Zamoron. I think, but uh, but either way, uh, that I can understand again if you're just going by if you're. What seems to be possibly the case here is they're kind of like uh like you know cherry picking what they want from uh, Green Lantern mythos. They kind of put this together since it's maybe because it's a hype, maybe because. Maybe because you know it's almost like an Elseworlds kind of story. Maybe they're taking a lot more liberties with what's going on, even though it's weird to tie in the Blue Lantern thing. Then, to be you know, even other than that, the fact it's a convenient out to not having any batteries. But other than that, maybe that's why they're playing a little more loose with the continuity, including the Blackest Night stuff. But I don't know. What do you think? Is Sinestro taking over the Enterprise or disabling the inter- the crew of the Enterprise? I think it's. I mean. I think it's more logical that it would work on some characters more than others. Uh, I think the ones that have rings, you would think, would be able to maybe put up a little greater resistance. Um, 
It's kind of interesting that the only one who looks pissed is Spock. Everybody yeah. else looks like, oh my god, oh my god, like, but Spock is the one who looks like he's raging. Uh, it was, it was, it was interesting. Uh, I guess I could believe it, it would, you know, it could work. Well, if anybody. Yeah, if anybody. I mean, Sinestro is is pretty much the best he, you know, he's like the Wolverine with the power ring, you know, the the best there is at what he does, so. And what I do is not very nice. Nope. <laughs> All right, anything else? Cover was great. The Necron cover was great. Yeah, pretty great. Looking forward to next issue still, despite the... I think that this one was uh, definitely, while a fun issue, I think this is probably the the least exciting out of the four so far, I guess. I would I agree. Know. I would agree. And from and it's hard to know if I would have enjoyed it more without you know that glaring Kyle thing. But especially since it happened so early, it kind of it's not like it had built up a lot of momentum and then then it kind of hit you. But but there's still a lot of as you mentioned, there's still a lot of stuff to get done in only two issues. Yes. I mean, let's be exactly. honest. Last, last issue ended with with Vulcan being reborn, even though it was the planet coming back together as a whole. So so this issue just ended with people coming out of the ground now. So we still have two. We have two issues to deal with. You know whether what. You know, what's the deal with Ganthet, really? Because I don't really believe Ganthet's dead. Uh, or he's going to stay dead, let's put it that way. Uh, are they going to duplicate the duplicate the rings? What's going on? Indigo 1 almost had to have made it through if they had everybody else through. Why wouldn't Indigo 1 make it through? And if, well, but she hasn't shown up in any, even in the flashbacks, so. But then that's, that's kind of a, they, they didn't show her in, in the battle scene? I would have to go not, back and not, look. Not in this issue. No, I know not in this issue. In this issue, they're only showing the characters that pretty much show up in this issue. Okay, but so I, th- I thought Indigo... I, I could be wrong, but I thought Indigo 1 was there. In issue 3? Yeah. Whenever they showed the last uh, Blackest... Uh, the last HAL uh, recap of Blackest Night. But I could be wrong. But I don't have it in front of me anymore, so... I'm pulling it up. Uh, let's see here. But it would still be weird. They would have to almost explain what... Be an odd... Almost like a convenient storytelling choice, not to not to have the Indigo make it through. Okay, Indigo is in the flashback, but I'm trying to see if there's any point where you see her fall or anything. I think it'd be kind of odd though if they have Atrocitus, Sinestro, Larkley's, right. Hal, Carol, Saint Walker, all the new and Guardians, and not have and Indigo. not have it yet. You you almost have to think there's. They're saving Indigo One for a, like a big moment, which maybe will come at the end of issue six, five. Yeah. I mean, issue five. Maybe that'll be a. I just thought it was an odd choice for them to do the whole thing with Scotty talking about replicating the rings because it was like because of what you just mentioned about Vulcan and still having not only that but you have to get the the lantern cores to to work together again. They're right because right. right now they're in the midst of a fight <laughs> and you got two issues to do that and then they chose. In issue four to go, oh, let's have uh, Scotty replicate the rings, too, while we're at it. <laughs> Good Lord, do you not have enough to do already? Yeah, because so. you would think that was a, they would just use a transporter for that, potentially. Maybe there's a way to just do that with the transporter. If they get the read, they might be able to use the transporter to make duplicates, maybe. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, you know that's going to you know that's gonna come to fruition. Uh, but, with, but, yes, we only have a few issues left to wrap this up. All right. Uh, Green Lantern Lost Army? Green Lantern Lost Army. It's kind of a weird cover. <laughs> eh, yeah, looks cool. Aresia does look cool. You can't really see much of Salak, so he kind of looks cool. John Stewart, if it is, is that in the time, is that supposed to be John Stewart? 
I think other person who I don't know. That's John. It is. He 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 looks weird, and uh, and Badge over there looks like he's like uh, hypnotized. <laughs> but that's just a reflection in his big his big chipmunk eyes. So of course, uh, let's let's get to the creative team. Is it at the end of this book when they announce everything? I'm trying to find the page. Here it is. 8,000 pages into the book. Cullen Bunn, of course, is the writer. But Javier Pina, the art and color. Dave Sharp, letterer. And, but Guillaume March did the cover. Um, so the issue actually begins with, I'm sure, uh, Chad's favorite part of the book. <sighs> yes, with yet another Afghanistan flashback. Uh, about how about how John's been in situations like this before, outnumbered, outgunned, and out of hope, and you know, yada yada. So you see John escaping, escaping from the Taliban, and he makes it out. And then he realizes, well, essentially, you know, he's got to go back because of the fact that you know, there's other people there. He can't just pretty much leave everybody else behind, and he's still got a job to do. Which, of course, now that leads directly to uh, back into the, you know the the light pirates in their prisons. And last issue, we found out that, you know, Badge pretty much thought he could find, you know, get, he might be able to find their, their rings and, and yada, yada. So we have John, we have Jeruk, we have Salak, 2-6, Arisia, you know, Real Vrek, uh, and of course, Badge goes, you know, ba- Badge goes to do his thing. Um, we have Guy and Kilowak who are another in another prison cell after they pretty much beat the crap out of all the the lightsmiths of that world. Uh, Salak and John continue to talk about you know what you know basically try to come up with a plan B just in case it doesn't really work. But of course, a few seconds later, looking extremely chubby, uh, Badge shows up with a whole bunch of rings. Not all of them. You know, he couldn't get them all, but he got a few, and they. Pe- and interestingly enough, they all have a little bit. Of, most of the rings have a little bit of charge left in them. So Badge has a ring. Salik, John Stewart, and Jeruk put their rings on. And I guess Badge set up a little, you know, set up a little time, a construct time bomb, conveniently enough, to help break them out of their prison cells. So the lanterns break out. They start, they start duking it out with the with the guards, the light pirates. Now we have a pretty cool splash page. You see the the lanterns who have the rings, along with like Kilowog and Guy, who do not have the do not have the rings, but they're all you know they're all they're all fighting to do their to do their job. Uh, Jeruk is open up a can of whoop ass for a while. You know, Badge protects Arisia, and Salak is kind of interesting because Salak Salak kind of like convenient too, comes up with the, believes that he's got the technology that he's, you know, he can not only find the, re- <clears throat> not only find the rest of the rings, but he probably can, uh, recharge the rings. He might be able to reverse engineer something, you know, basically he's, he thinks he can reverse engineer some of the rings that were destroyed and recharge some of the ones that, that exist along with the light staffs and stuff like that. One of the sad parts of the book, at least for me, uh, unfortunately, during the fight with the Light Pirates, Jeruk buys it, which I didn't like because I really like Jeruk. I kind of started really, really enjoying Jeruk, but the, at the end of the Green Lantern Corps series, but he gets, you know, he gets blasted, 
and God tries to comfort him and tries to tell him to hold on, but Jeruk just kind of really sad, just goes, he would have liked to have seen home again. So now, Salak pretty much has been successful. We see a bunch, we see pretty much all the lanterns and all the, all the lanterns and or lightsmiths have some form of weapons back, and it's kind of cool because, because Kilowog ends up with a staff as, as, as opposed to a ring. I do kind of like his uniform though. You know, so they all start opening, open up a can of whoop-ass and the light, excuse me, the light pirates, you know, they, they're trying to figure out, you know, they come to the conclusion that, okay, this is real nice and we're fighting and all, but we really should figure a way to get the hell out of this place and escape. Right at that moment, the side, you know, the side of the light pirate ship gets blasted and they, and guess who came back? It was Relic and Krona and John Stewart's like, they came back. And of course, Krona, of course we did. We're allies, are we not? Ah, uh, Krona, even when he has a good moment, he's, we still know he's a dick. <laughs> Uh, all the light pirates, fly, you know, um, excuse me, all the lightsmiths fly off, including the Green Lanterns now. And of course, the pretty much the alliance really didn't doesn't last very long because all the other core, excuse me, all the other color lightsmiths with their life staffs, they go off in their opposite direction to continue their war of light. But but the Green Lanterns pretty much all come together, including Kilowog. And it's like we, it's like, you know, we got there's hundreds of lanterns we stop to account for. And, you know, we we don't know where Mogo is, and Mogo, of course, you know, he's got the central power battery. So Relic says, oh, I, all is now lost, you know, with your tech, you know, with the energies you wield, they're kind of distinct, and with my, you know, my technology, you know, we should be able to find, you know, pretty much what you're looking for. And, so, you know, basically Relic and Salak are working together inside Relic's ship, and Salak says, you know, I'm not sure if he can hear me, but I can hear him. There's a great deal of interference, but the pain, the anguish is coming through loud and clear. Mogo is screaming, and we see Mogo is basically under attack by the green, the yellow, the orange, and the red central power pyramids of the Lightsmiths and Relics universe. Next issue, one bad Mogo, <laughs> as opposed to Mofo, I'm assuming. <laughs> uh, um, Colin? You know I love you, man. <laughs> and we do, especially your work on Sinestro. <laughs> um, but you need to stop with this bullshit, uh, 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 you know, Afghanistan stuff that you're doing with John. I get it. I know what you're trying to do. It's not working. Okay. Um, it's 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 serving nothing. Other than to mirror the current action going on in the in the story you're trying to tell, I get it that your book is being canceled, and I get it that by the time we review this, your and the scripts and everything's already been completed, and this is all a moot point. But this showing the past of John Stewart to mirror and amplify the current action happening within the current storyline that is happening within your title is not working. It, didn't work in issue one. It's not working here in issue five. Don't do it. <laughs> the only time you should do a flashback sequence like this is if you are using it to highlight a character moment for for John Stewart or for any character that you're trying to present. And if the the exact same character trait that you're trying to amplify about the character is already being displayed and uh, elaborated upon in the storyline you're already telling, then you don't need the flashback. So there's that. Otherwise, um, 
thought it was cool. Thought Salak was kind of a dick. For Wait, not which... believing in Badge. Oh, okay. I guess I could see that. I think it's that's just kind of like you know almost like the protocol officer in him that he's got to come. You got to come up with Plan B and Plan C. I I I can understand. I can understand that, but you know. Yeah. Um. Drew dying didn't like it. No, I really like Drew. I guess somebody had to die, but you know whatever. Um, there, there were other lanterns in this group. I think they could have they could have killed off before uh, before Jeruk. Yeah, I mean other than that, there's not much here. Uh, I mean obviously, guys, there's a reason this book is going to get canceled or is being canceled in favor of something else or whatever. Um, but I thought you know I, I did like how and I, I like how they. Out of all the lanterns that uh, the R universe lanterns that got a staff, it was Kilowog because he physically looks the most like yeah, the beings from this universe. That is true, actually. That's a good point. So that that would that was interesting, um, but I like how he adapted to it super quick. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't really know what to say about this particular issue. Um, I just. You know, it's 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 just kind of there right now. Um, even the cliffhanger of Mogo is screaming didn't do much for me. I I did kind of like the brief moment that you have when John when after all the lanterns and lightsmiths are pretty much back online with weapons, when John's fighting next to the, the you know the yellow lightsmith, and John's like in my time or this one I'll never get used to working alongside a yellow fearmonger and, and the and the re- and the fear lightsmith goes uh, no before the dimming all the lightsmiths work together for the greater good, which is kind of interesting. So, so you get to the point that from in relics in relics universe everybody kind of worked together until the light started to fade, and that's when they all started you know fighting for the light that was left. As opposed to our universe where, barring a crisis, <laughs> all the lanterns. All the different colors usually are fighting amongst themselves. <laughs> well, we knew that before this. No, I know, but I mean, but it's it it is true. But I mean, it just it just kind of contrast. I just made to me, I just con- contrasted with what we see with our lightsmiths even more. I mean, I know it is kind of like rehashing an old point, but again, for people who didn't pick, for people who didn't read it in during Lights Out, who who kind of didn't in the Relic one shot or whatever, who really didn't get pick up on that, uh, maybe they wouldn't know that it was that it was mentioned before but I, I i thought but it's but i do like the contrast how in their you know how that how they fall into the you know they're falling into the end of this universe and they're seeing all these lightsmiths that are just doing all these you know, things that they don't that the green lanterns themselves don't really comprehend how you could do this how you could do that or and you know now kind of working together trying to solve the problem and then the reality is they've always worked together to solve They've always worked together now, maybe because they've never had a crisis before. They, they, they just, you know, their natural instincts to worry about themselves take over compared to our universe where the lantern, our lanterns are almost, they come together here and there, you know, in small groups to work together. But as a whole, as core and core and core, that they usually are off doing their own thing. And the only time they come together, but they do it well, is when there's a crisis. So it's kind of, it's interesting. I thought it was interesting anyway, but. Hmm. But there's not, but there's not a lot to mine in this issue. There really isn't. I thought this was probably the least successful of the five so far. Yeah, there's not a lot. I mean, something big obviously happens, and you know, they escape, and it's all you know, well and good there. But I just there's there's not a lot there for me. I agree. 
All right, Sinestro number 16. Probably the best of the bunch. Sinestro number 16 with, of all things, its variant cover is Monsters of the Month. It is a meme. It's Grumpy Cat. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Painted to look like Sinestro. It says, nothing frightens me. I am fear. <laughs> <sighs> Fuck you. And the house you rode in on. Or whatever, horse. I don't know. All right, so this storyline is called Meeting of Kings. Writer Colin Bunn, pencils Brad Walker, and Ethan Van Skyver. And you can definitely uh, tell when the Van Skyver art begins. <laughs> yep. Uh, inks by Drew Hennessy and Van Skyver. Colors by Jason Wright. Letter is Dave Sharp. And, of course, uh, uh, we open up – actually, not where we left off. Um, we open up on Kondok, if I'm saying that right. Uh, don't have a lot of Black Adam experience in my life. But, anyways, um, there's a lot happening here, but I'm going to give the thousand foot, and we can get into the details as we see fit later on. Um, basically, the Sinestro Corps arrives on Earth on Kondok. Uh, uh, now, I say the Sinestro Corps, and by that I mean Sora and uh, Sinestro and Lysa and, you know, kind of the select group of lanterns that we've been seeing uh, throughout this. Um, of course, as they show up, they are greeted by uh, enthusiastically by the, the citizens of Kondok. Uh, you know, the, the, these people, you know, are giving us gifts and, you know, uh, Raijin says, you know, uh, they honor us with fruit. I would have expected butchered <laughs> livestock, but fruit. And she says, uh, you know, uh, Becca, that's her name. Totally forgot. Uh, says, from what I've heard, the ruler of the city suffers no insult. Take care, Raijin, or you may see a different sort of butchery. An ill-tipper has, at times, gotten the better of me. Not today, though. Today, Black Adam stands before you as a friend. And you see Black Adam striding. Uh, is he floating or is he walking? I, I, think he's like wa I think he's walking. Okay. It's, 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 a, it's a fine line, but I... It, well, let's, let's take a look at the next page as I give an answer. I think, yeah. I think, he's, I think he's prob I think he's walking, but I... But if, he could be hovering slightly off the ground. No, he's got to. You know what? Let me take that back. He he's got to be floating. Cause look at the guy. Look at the guy in the bottom right panel. He's looking up. Yeah. He's floating. Yeah, yeah. Um. Sora is immediately smitten with him. Uh, <laughs> and basically, Sinestro and Black Adam greet one another as they have, uh, you know, history with one another. It says, you know, see forever evil, uh, number seven. Which, you know, sidebar. That's a pretty uh, good thing to see. That's Forever Evil is like a year or two ago. So there's that. That's that's a quite a far away issue to be referencing this this uh, this far along. And you still haven't read Forever Evil, right? Uh parts of it. Yeah. The, the Sinestro um, Black Adam parts. I mean, I like. I think I mentioned before, Forever Evil was I thought really really good, but the, but the Black Adam Sinestro relationship was really really cool in that. So I'm glad they're coming back to it. So, uh, because he's the king and uh, his friend has shown up, uh, we're gonna have a party. So they do. Um, you know, uh, because you know, 
Not only that, it's the duty of the king to attend the comfort of his guests, you know. Uh, and uh, Sinestro says, I noticed the, this uh, comfort only extends so far. Is there but one chair in your kingdom? <laughs> and Black Adam says, hospitality is not today's only message and looks smugly at Sinestro. So Sinestro creates a construct throne right next to <laughs> Black Adam, and they share a good laugh about that. Um, then they get down to brass tacks. Sinestro tells him why he's shown up. It's the paling, and that he, you know, his his quest in in uh, trying to uh, you know save and police the universe and substitution of the Green Lantern Corps. You know because uh, what does he say? He says, "Okay, my predecessors were the Green Lanterns." never seem to learn the lesson that, uh, you know, once you've attained the position of power, your enemies will come for you. Uh, and he says they were always on the defense against one threat or another, but I plan to proactively el- or eliminate it. So he's, you know, actively seeking out more knowledge about the, the, the paling. Um, and the reason he's come to Kondok is because evidently the paling has visited here before and Black Adam went up against them then as well. Um, you know, he says, you know, they came with subjugators. I drove them back. I faced their champion in battle, forced them back into the dark places from which they came, so on and so forth. You know, um, only the most learned historians know this tale. This is to my liking. My people do not need to know the details of every battle I've won. They only need to know that they are safe. Yeah, Sinestro asks if there are records. Black Adam says, you know, you know, yes, uh, you know, and, but they're forbidden to outsiders and, you know, but you're the king. You can make an exception um, and you'll show me for the sake of the universe, for the sake of your people. And Black Adam concedes to this, but says only for you. Uh, Sinestro says, you know, uh, the king and I have matters to attend, um, you know, head back to War World. And, uh, you know, Sora does uh, not Sora. Um, Lysa doesn't like this. She says, you know, I should be by your side. He says, you know, my ring's going to record anything anyways, you know, so get the hell out of here. So they all leave. Black Adam uh, says, you know, we have to walk over to the records because it's a sacred pilgrimage and we are bound by sacred laws. We must uh, humble ourselves and take this journey not as gods but as seekers of knowledge. They walk a lot. They get there to (laughs) one of the... They get to uh, one of the one of the tombs. They go down. Sinestro, you know, kind of goes. Oh, this would be all be very fascinating to me. As uh, you know, my past life, I was an uh, archaeologist and um, all of this. So they get down into the they get down to the catacombs, and these zombie kind of things rise up to uh, attack them. You know, Black Adam's like, "Worry not." You know, they they're they listen to me, you know, um, you know, he says, I am Teth Adam. I am your rightful King. Return to your rest of places, resting places in trouble. We no more. They're not listening to him. So they have to fight him. They do. Black Adam is like, well, this is kind of odd. Um, and, uh, Sinestra's like, I'll trust you. will warn me of any other surprises. And he says, it, it cannot be. And he says, what is it? Sinestra? What troubles you? This, this is the body of the pale Bishop. But I know this creature. I know where it came from. This thing is tied to my ring. And he says, yes, your ring. This corpse rises up and says, yes, your ring, your emotion. The blasphemy of fear has roused me. 
His eyes light up and it says, The pale bishop lives once more and the purging, the inquisition begins in new. Uh, and, it, and Sinestro screams, It's a guardian of the universe. Next, Battle for Earth. So, a guardian again. <laughs> but it make, but it but it kind of makes sense. Yes. Anyway, I th- good. I think it's either Appa Ali Apsa, who who's been warming up in the bullpen ever since Blackest Night ended. It is. <laughs> or less likely, but even more awesomer, uh, would be uh, Dolly. Uh, don't ask me to say his full name. Dolly is the guardian that was in. Uh, um, Ganthet's tail, guys. Just for those of you who don't remember, who remember it, no, not the leprechaun guy that Ganthet recruited to help them fight, but uh, the one that was married, Dolly the Guardian, that was married to a Zamoran and had two kids or whatever. I think that's uh, this is either Dolly or it's Appa, one of the two. Uh, if it turns out to be alternate universe Chrono or some bullshit, I'm gonna have a shit fit. But yeah, I, don't, uh, I don't think it, it won't. I don't think I. I feel confident it's not going to be Krona. They probably have bigger plans for Krona. You know, speaking of you know, okay. So for for those of you who listen to this, yeah, okay. So as you listen to this on Sunday, uh, Mark and I actually you you're, you'll hear Mark and I appear on another show, the Secret Origins podcast. What if this is Harupa? That's another option, right? Yeah, but what, he wasn't one of the ones that. They didn't bring. That's. I'm trying to go back and remember once the Guardians came back after the Ion storyline, and once they were, you know, after rebirth when they were aged. None of them were. Did they ever have any? Did they ever refer to each other as names other than Ganthet and Sade? I so, don't remember. Because I know Harupa. I do remember Harupa's name being mentioned, but I. But I could. But I don't remember what storyline. So it could be. It could. I mean, it would. Yeah, but I don't. But Har, Would they turn Harupa into a jackass? I don't know. Um. um no, but uh, just for those of you, uh, uh, Ryan Daly's The Secret Origins Podcast, Secret Origins, uh, or Secret Origins or Secret Origins Podcast.wordpress.com. It's on iTunes. Really great show. Mark and I appeared on there talking about the issue of Secret Origins that covered the Guardians of the Universe uh, and the Floronic Man. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, obviously, we only talked about the Guardians' uh, origin, uh, but uh, that episode is releasing this Sunday. Uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, and Harupa, by the way, the reason we bring him up is because Harupa was the guardian that the whole origin of the guardians was pivoting around as it was a tie into millennium. So that's what we're talking about. So it appears that Harupa was brought back one of the guardians that Kyle brought back. And it actually, it says ironically, whether this is accurate or not, where I'm reading it, that it says his, his former mentor, Krona later in, infected him with butch with the, with uh, the butcher entity. So supposedly the ent- the guardian. Ah, so supposedly so the War of the Green Lanterns, the specific guardian that had. Uh, yeah. So, so according to what I just read, if that's accurate, that means Harupa was actually the guardian who was infected with the butcher. Okay. Well, then it can't be Harupa because no. those guardians were murdered by Sinestro. Yes, it's got to be somebody. And you. So Appa be... or Dolly. See, normally you would think it would be Appa because he would be the one people would have more t- ties to. But again, you're going back to. He's buried on Earth, and he's been buried on Earth for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it – I don't think that matches Harup – I mean matches uh, Old Timer because the fact that 
he didn't even die on Earth. He has ties to Earth because of you know the hard traveling hero stuff. But I think you so. Might... It could it could be just the Guardian as opposed to yeah we have, no I think they're gonna name I I think you're you're on to something that they're gonna probably I think they're probably gonna name the Guardian and it might be, and it, and I think it's probably they're gonna I'm could be wrong I think it will be a name we've heard before so you might very well you might very well be be right. Uh, it is interesting that the, you can make a case that the bandages they have on are the same Malthusian bandages like Krona did when he right. was healing, trying to heal himself. Which doesn't mean that it's Krona. It just means that, obviously, it's kind of a trick that they use to heal themselves. Uh, so you might be right. I mean, I'm not going to be disappointed if, it, if, if it's, you know, Appa. But, hmm. but I think I'm... But I think in the bigger picture, it makes sense that it's a guardian because even as you mentioned, when the, when you know the pale vicars first showed up, that it, that they kind of were creating another core. You said, or they mm-hmm. might be creating another core, even though it wasn't true a true core based on how we understood it, because they weren't using emotion. It was the absence of emotion. Uh, and then it makes perfect sense in a way when you really think about it that an old school guardian would be against it because an old, because they were completely not like old school old school everything dancing into the you know running in the forest you know watching the butterflies guardians but the guardians that we have known for the most part have been pretty anti-emotional they've been against the the use of emotions from for the better part of the last few like maybe millions of years if not billions of years so it would make sense that a, a guardian would be behind a movement to try to wipe out emotion. So So I think it kind of, it's yeah, I knew I knew about that because you know the just the surprise reveal because of the fact that uh, I you know I read it online, but I thought it was but I thought it was pretty clever though. I think it works. Oh, hey, check it out. Um the page where Sinestro is recapping the history of the Pale Vickers. Look at this, the second panel. Look at those beings. Going back there, going back. Not the pale, not the paling. Oh, I'm talking Kilowog? about the beings. Yeah. I, yep. It looks like they're trying to they're they're trying to tie it into. Oh God. Bolivar uh, Vix. Yeah, Bolivax Vix. Yeah. So maybe they're the reason Bolivax Vix was destroyed. I doubt they're gonna take it that far, but it's nice shout out. But it is interesting uh, the way it's. No, I, I thought I liked this issue a lot. The art was really good, especially when the Van Skyver art kicks in. I do like that because I remember uh, in an interview with Van Skyver, pretty sure in one of uh, the documentaries I have on comics, um, he mentions how one of his favorite things about uh, drawing the lanterns, uh, one of the subtle changes they made is the blacks. So, so if you're looking at um, the the first couple of pages in this issue uh, where you see the Sinestro Corps where it's obviously drawn by uh, what's his name um, Walker yes and look at the blacks on their costume now it's they're shaded and stuff like that yeah they're not solid black like they are with uh... yeah and then you get to any time that Van Skyver's drawing and there is no shading whatsoever other than the distinguishing lines between like arm and body. Right, which again contrasts directly with how he draws Black Adam because there is shading on Black Adam's costume. Exactly, because it, to to Van Skyver, the the costume of a lantern, the black parts, it's it's energy, so it should just be a solid black. It's not there is ma- no material there to be reflected off of. It is 
light. And black is the absence of light, so it is just solid black. There is no reflection whatsoever. So that's pretty cool. There are lots of interesting... I mean, I like the whole list of stuff with with Sinestro. I like the fact that, you know, she, she just, you know... <laughs> She tries. She tries to cock block Black Adam. Basically, there. <laughs> it's like, hey, you're supposed to be with me. It's like you gotta take me with you. You gotta take me with you. And then Sinestro is kind of like, oh, don't worry, I got it under control. And then Black Adam's like, who is she? You know, she she's your consort, your concubine. And he goes, he goes, no, nothing. He she's just the keeper of the book of records. And that is, and he's like, well, then why were you whispering to her essentially? And it's like, you should, you of all people should know about how you need to keep your enemies close. So. And Van Skyver does draw a good Sora. Mm-hmm. And not just for the two obvious reasons. I just like the look on her face when they're all flying back up the war world. Because you can tell that she's got, you know, the, her wheels are turning in regards to Black Adam. Actually, she looks a lot like her father in that picture if you really look at her face. Yeah, that's the, true. Especially the look at the way her eyes are. She looks very much like, that's a, that's a Sinestro kind of look. Hmm. But I liked, I liked the... The reteaming of Sinestro and Black Adam, I think it works well in the storyline. It's cool. As some people, I, somebody else who I uh, pointed this out or made this comment that it, you know it's kind of good to see that villains, you know, have friends. You know that the mm-hmm. villains are friends, it can be friends too. That, that just because you're a villain doesn't mean that you hate everybody and you don't get along with anybody. That that you, no matter what kind of big no matter what kind of douchebag you might be, there's probably somebody who you get along with and somebody that likes you. <laughs> and of anybody, it makes sense with Black Adam because Black Adam is a villain, but he's also right in line with Sinestro. You know, like you can look at Black Adam as a villain, or you can look at Black Adam as like an anti-hero or something. Yeah, and it, you know, he 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 wants to do right by his people. He just thinks there's a very specific way to go about it. You know, he is a king. He is a ruler. Uh, and all this stuff, and there's a very specific way to go about getting the things he wants for his people, but, you know, he's not going to stand by and let somebody else try and do it. Same with Sinestro. Like, they, they, they share a mindset. They're not just out-and-out insane villains. Nope. There's, there's a, you know, inherent understanding to their motives, too. I mean, I like Walker's art too, but it would got if it's really too bad Van Skyver wasn't drawing this book all the time. <laughs> I kind of, I know. I mean, you pointed out that you, you know, some of the things that you, some of the things that you aren't 100% happy with sometimes about Ethan's art, but it's kind of now that we've actually gotten a decent amount of Ethan's art in Green Lantern related books over the last year again, whether it's doing some covers or actually doing. It's it's nice and certainly interiors in this book, and he's going to be doing the Edge of Oblivion, uh, mini. That it it kind of it would be, it would be really nice if he was drawing a, a lantern book regularly. That would be really nice. And since he draws, and since he Sinestro is kind of the one he's he's I don't know if he's best known for Sinestro and the Sinestro Corps, but that's got to be right up there. So I think mm-hmm. that would kind of be a that would be a a really good uh, book for him. But I like it. I think this is. I think this is pro. This is probably my favorite book of the, of the month. Hmm. Yeah, it was really good. And the cover is cool too. When you just see Sinestro's face reflected in the, uh, the lightning off of Black Adam's chest. Yeah, I do like that cover. Yeah, it's pretty cool. 
If I was a big Black Adam fan too, I'd probably get that as a poster if I could. That's really good art. It is. It's very. It's 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 very cool. So I think this issue is certainly. I think this is one of the better issues we've had in Sinestro from top to bottom for a while. I think the last few have kind of been probably because they. Went, I think they kind of gone off track a little with the whole Lobo stuff. That I think this kind of gets. I think this kind of gets it back on track a little bit more to what the book was. Plus, plus it goes back to. Re- to getting us to the point where it's going to seemingly be resolving the uh, paling issue, which has been out there since the beginning of, of the Sinestro series. That we're finally going to get a resolution to it as opposed to kind of detouring away from it. Well, speaking of getting off track with Lobo... Lobo number 11. For the win. Well, maybe not, but for the conclusion. <laughs> the cover is kind of cool when he's got his little... He's got his little spear thing with all the different lantern core rings on it. Again, I don't know why there'd be so many blues when there really should only be one blue ring left. But, and it's also interesting that he's got Sinestro core rings on it. So maybe it's just supposed to be symbolic. But, issue Lobo number 11, another Cullen Bun book. Uh, let's see if we can get to the page where it gives you the whole group. The whole breakdown. Is it towards the back in this one? Yes, it is. Paid in Blood is the is, is the title of the issue, written by Cullen Bun and Frank Bar- Barbiera. Uh, pencil by Ropes and Roca, inks by Rui Jose, excuse me, colored by Blonde. Those are all names that we normally don't say (laughs) other than Colin Bun. (laughs) So this picks up right where we left off last issue where, uh, pretty much we saw Lobo wiping out Rancor and, and Bleeds was flying off to basically, as we... Which was news to us, too, and pretty much everybody else, that somehow Atrocitus is back running the the Red Lantern Corps. There's a new Red Lantern power battery. There's recruits. Uh, So we have the the Rage Mother, basically, which is a pretty cool-looking character. It's kind of... From a distance, again, it looks like a xenomorph, but when you get close to it, you see it's it's got an entirely different face. That she's kind of like holding the central power battery, the Red Lantern power battery above her head. Uh... You have you have Atrocitus still wearing kind of like almost like some at least bottom half of like a clerical robe almost uh, preaching to you know to the Red Lanterns you know rise children of the rage mother claim your destiny you get the whole bum 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 you know the rings you know the rings pretty much fly out and and go on to these recruits we get a little bit of an origin or a little bit backstory anyway about the uh, about the Rage Mother, that somehow that she originally was a victim of the Yellow Lanterns, and her flesh, her very being, was torn asunder by their deceit and corruption. But now she is a harbinger of suffering, servant of the Great Anger, and from her blood, you shall be reborn. And in the midst of all this, we have uh, narration by Lobo, who's kind of, you know, kind of watching all this, and he realizes, you know, like Atrocitus is going to be trouble, and you know, these guys are fueled by rage, and you know. He kind of has no idea about the Rage Mother, but she's got the battery, and that's the important target. We have the new recruits, which is most, a lot of them are pretty cool looking, actually. Uh, nice splash page of them all, you know, reciting the Red Lantern Oath. And, you know, while, you know, while they're all getting all pumped and primed for battle, and Atrocitus is giving his uh, pep talk, uh, Lobo is basically targeting them. And Logo engages the Red Lanterns and and you know and Dex you know and Dexstar is you know is 
using his cat-like predator instincts and everything to go sniff out Lobo, you know, and basically, unfortunately, uh, Dexstar does find Lobo, but maybe he's, he's kind of like a split second too late, you know, he need to get, he's a, he gets cut in half by, uh, by Lobo, and that, that kind of, logically enough, as, as any pet owner would know, that kind of really pisses off Atrocitus. It's like, your rage was great. Atrocitus really seems upset. It's like, you will be avenged, blood for blood. And at least we have a little bit of, in the narration here of Lobo acknowledging that the red that these that the Red Lanterns are, are you know are, are hardcore if for no other reason because of the you know the napalm that they that they puke out. Uh, Lobo really doesn't have much of an issue with the majority of the Lanterns, but he does have a big issue with Atrocitus. You know, Atrocitus hovers over him and and is you know I can feel the rage in your heart. Will it be enough to save you, Hunter? And he drips his napalm on him, and it starts burning through Lobo's face. And Lobo actually acknowledges that this is a real problem for him because he cannot heal faster than it's eating him away. So he's you know, eating him alive, basically. So he's got to get out of there. So you know, so he basically it's time for a distraction. He you know uses some some more of his weapons to to get out of there. Some of, blow you know blow some of the sets off a few explosions. You know, Lobo pretty much he set he sets a trap. You know, for some for the Red Lanterns, and more Red you know more Red Lanterns fall into it. Another explosion. They get some of them get blown apart. We have, and obviously this must be. It's probably safe to assume at this point, Chad, that Cullen Bunn likes flashbacks. <laughs> probably. Yep. Because because this is I think the second time in the issues that we've that they've been lantern centric that we go back to. Uh, Basically, Lobo lamenting, I guess, the loss of his love, uh, and so about how Lobo, you know, how that this time he Lobo uses it to say, you know, Trostus thinks he knows my rage, but he has no idea, no idea where I come from, no idea what I've done. The difference between him and between me and him, I control my rage, make it a weapon, and the Red Lanterns are consumed by it. Lobo takes out pretty much all the Red, Red Lanterns at this point. Except for Blaze and the Rage Mother, while he and Atrocitus, of course, and Atrocitus and he engage in a final battle. Uh, for some stupid reason, that, again, misinformation, I suppose, that Lobo thinks that the you know, the, the key to destroying a Red Lantern is you know the heart. You know, basically, Sinestro says the rings are connected to the heart, which I guess they kind of are, but not the way Lobo thinks, because he stabs Atrocitus in the heart. And it doesn't really do anything, but then you know, Atrocitus pretty much blows Atrocitus apart, and then he, that's when he realizes that you know the Rage Mother and Blees have left, and then you know, Blees is Rage Mother, my liege, embrace the fury, endure. And then she pukes out all this napalm, endure, endure, and then you know, basically the 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 all the the blood that she pukes up pretty much starts solidifying, and Blees is like, what is? And then we see all the Red Lanterns, including Atrocitus, including Dexstar, and all the new recruits that were just destroyed by Lobo. They pretty much have all been reborn. And as the Rage Mother herself says, the Red Lanterns are reborn. Behold, beings of pure rage. Ha ha ha. Paid in blood. Again, that's the title. And, of course, the next issue, Drug Run, which doesn't sound anywhere near as, in, as interesting. Um... So what I don't like about this issue is something that's not even in this issue. I read uh, Lobo number 12 today. 
none of this anywhere in there. <laughs> well, that's what I figured. But even I was just I almost said that when I said drug when I mentioned the title that I think issue twelve is uh it skips the whole the whole lantern like arc before Hal comes back in. It's not even titled Sinestro Rising that issue, is it? No. Because this one was also another Sinestro under the Sinestro Rising banner, so that's kind of weird. Even though I'm I guess, saying we get a whole like Red Lantern centric issue. And it's like, it ends on this kind of like, oh, Red Lanterns are back and, you know, they're not done yet note. And then nothing. Well, I guess maybe, <laughs> I guess maybe the point of the point of that is just so Lobo at some point is going to tell Sinestro, yeah, I pretty much, I wiped out, I wiped out Atrocitus. I hope I wiped out most of the Red Lanterns except for this chick and the, and the one who's carrying the battery. And then just, and eventually, of course, Sinestro is going to find out, surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> That's a it's a cool ass page though when all the Red Lanterns are reborn though they look yeah. pretty cool and and I'm glad Dexter is back because even as we kind of talked about last issue review episode I would have been really pissed if Dexter was killed off again by Lobo because I know he's powerful and yada 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 but uh, I think these characters deserved a little better than they got I got I guess I can live with Monk buying it I think Rancor kind of got the shitty end of the stick too in last issue but at least at least at least in this episode, in this issue, excuse me, at least Lobo acknowledges that you know the Red Lanterns are a real threat to him, multiple yeah. times. Even before he gets into the battle and he gets puked on, he realizes, well, if I don't get out of here, you know, if I don't get out of here, certainly if I get puked on more, but even what's on my face, you know, if I if I get a little more of the stuff on me, that it's going to destroy me faster than I can heal. So I kind of like the fact that at least we know theoretically that under the right circumstances, Atrostis could take this guy out. So. But so I, and it's good to know that the red Lan- that at least you know one lantern core here is a little. They're not all going to be like pan, you know, pansies to him or, or either pansies or or patsies just because they can get taken advantage of so easily. So yeah. Um. So it was a nicely drawn issue overall. It was a very I like the colors in the issue. Yeah, for sure. I want to know more about the Rage Mother. Yes, so do I. And I want to know how the hell, where, how Atrocities, Atrocities got back to Laura Fleas and Rancor to begin with, let alone being able to do another recruitment drive. How Atrocities got back to Laura Fleas and Rancor? Oh, did I see Laura Fleas? Please, 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 I'm sorry, please and Rancor. Uh, why, you know, why they're back in bed with him when they were fighting against him for so far, so long in the last issue, unless they figured it, since they, they couldn't really cut it on their own with our guy. <laughs> but, I like to know that the Rage Mother is interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things to touch upon that they they open the door for. It's just that even last issue when you just see Atrocitus show up and there's a new central power battery, it's like, okay, where the hell did this come from? Mm-hmm. That's why I was that's why I was interested when I first asked you about the annual since I never since I didn't get the annual when it first came out the Sinestro, the uh, Lobo annual. That's why I was curious when we first talked about it whether that had any ties into. Our, you know, the, the reveal about the Red Lanterns, just because it seems so... All of it seemed out of the blue, other than, of course, knowing that Rancor and Bleas were still out there somewhere. Right. I mean, I, I enjoy it. I just, uh, I don't know, it kind of left too many questions up in the air for me to be like, to walk away from it going, oh, okay, cool. Especially especially now that I've read 12, which came out today. It's just like, well, all right, well, I guess we're just going to leave this Entire lantern core dangling out. <laughs> so it's twelve. I mean, I'm probably going to get it anyway. But is twelve 
12 even worth buying from the point of view that it's a tie at all into anything? No. no? Doesn't? No. Okay, so maybe I'll just maybe I'll just no. flip through it. The only thing relevant about 12, and I'll just say it now because we're not going to review it on our show, guys, uh, just because... Uh, it's not Lantern-centric. It, it's not Lantern-centric. At the very end of it, it's just kind of it's kind of like a breather issue. So if you're reading Lobo already, I guess you'll like it because it's a break in your storyline and it's kind of Lobo getting back to, you know, Lobo-like stuff that's been happening in his title, I guess. I don't know. I haven't been reading it. Um, the only relevant thing is at the very end, he decides to go after certain people, the main of which is Hal Jordan. So... That's that's really all it is. So you, you I mean, it's it, that's really no spoiler because you guys already know that you know based on solicits that Lobo is going to be going up against or hunting down Hal at some point in the future. So that's really all that that is. So to me, it was it, it was an int- it was a nicely drawn issue as a one off issue. It was pretty cool. Um, I certainly wasn't as annoyed about it as I was about issue ten. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. But it, it. I mean, it 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 ranks fairly high among this month's books. But I think that's because of the where this month's books are. <laughs> I mean, Sinestro is pretty good. Uh, Star Trek by default, even with those mistakes, I think still ranks pretty high because uh, again, I don't think this was a particularly strong month for Lost Army or Green Lantern. So Lobo f- kind of falls in, I think, in the middle of the of the group for me. For a non-Green Lantern book, it had it is more, for for a non-Lantern book, it had more Lantern stuff than we get in a lot of other books lately. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it was okay. Um, again, it's just the big thing is the plot, the the, the plot thread it, it left dangling with the Red Lanterns. Um, it doesn't pick up on a twelve, so that's. Yeah, it's yeah. an odd, it, it is an odd choice for a bre- for a breather when when especially well, of course we're not sure if Sinestro Rising that that banner is even going to show up again. Maybe it, it would it would definitely be odd if it like shows up again for like two more issues and just skips that one issue. Yeah, it's that's I mean I don't really have much else to say about it. You have anything else to say about Lobo? No, I think we I think we did it justice. I hope so. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up uh, our uh, our. Uh... You know, reviews of the issues, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we're back, we'll do some listener feedback. With a special guest. That's right, that's right. Hey listeners, it's Ryan Daly, here to give you an exciting sneak peek at the Secret Origins Podcast, a review show dedicated to the post-crisis Secret Origins comics. Secret Origins told, or retold, or occasionally reimagined the origins of many of DC's legendary superheroes, including Superman, Batman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Jonah Hex, Nightwing, Plastic Man, Batgirl, Blackhawk, Black Lightning, Booster Gold, Detective Chimp, The Legion of Superheroes, and a hundred others. But I won't be alone in my coverage of these epic stories. I'm bringing the best and brightest and irredeemablest guest stars from the blogosphere and podcast community, such as Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast. I think this is a great idea for a podcast, and I wish I thought of it first, but it's in good hands. Chris and I are going to be reviewing the first issue of Secret Origins, which tells the story of the Golden Age Superman. And now, Chris, I don't know if this has ever come up before on your own show, but would you say you're much of a Superman fan? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am definitely a Superman fan. Uh, Superman, the movie, is still my favorite movie of all time. That's my Star Wars. I don't remember a time when I didn't know who Superman was. Tim Wallace from Court Industries, a blog devoted to Blue Beetle. My friends, my close friends, would probably tell you that Aquaman was my favorite hero, and they wouldn't be too far off from the truth, but there was already a pretty decent blog covering Aquaman, so I went for my number two, which was which was Blue Beetle. And this issue actually has a lot to do with uh, why he's one of my favorites. Luke Giaconetti from the Hawkman blog being Carter Hall in the Earth Destruction Directive podcast. Thank you for having the, the enthusiasm to talk about Halo, because this is not a character that I know much about. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the oddballs in that I'm an Outsiders fan who doesn't like the Teen Titans, so <laughs> I, I figure I'm, I'm pretty much required to do my, my, uh, you know, my due diligence in defending the members of the Outsiders team, especially one of the originals. Siskoid from Siskoid's blog of Geekery and the Hero Points podcast. One of the subjects I keep returning to is Golden Age superheroes. I like exploring the the history of comics, and especially DC Comics, which has the biggest load of, uh, of Golden Age heroes. In Secret Origins is full of these because Roy Thomas wrote um, you know, half the series or so, and just like he wrote a lot of Golden Age heroes and brought Golden Age heroes to, the, um, to our attention in the 80s, which was when I started reading comics. And, of course, Rob Kelly from the Fire and Water podcast. The plan was, all this time, once we finished Who's Who, we were going to do the Secret Origin series. That was our next ga- our next uh, big project. And you have swooped in and stolen it, and I'm just saying, you better not screw this up. I mean, you're on episode four, and you brought in your biggest guest star yet. But from here, if it's just downhill, I'm going to be really ticked off that you ruined our idea. Mm, I wasn't really listening to any of that. Plus more incredible guests, including Sean Engel, Chad Bokelman, Kyle Benning, Nathaniel Wayne, Paul Scavito, Greg Araujo, Tom Paneris, Doug Zawissa, Aaron Moss, Alan Middleton, Max Romero, Gene Hendricks, Stella, Ange, Diablo Frank, and possibly even more. Join us as we uncover the secret origins of all your favorite DC heroes, except for Wonder Woman and Aquaman, and Supergirl, and the Huntress, and Red Tornado, and Mira, and Aqualad, and Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern, and Wildcat, and Metamorpho, and Geoforce, and Mr. Terrific, and Snap. The Secret Origins Podcast. This is Jon Stewart, Green Lantern of Sector 2814, and you are listening to The Lantern Cast. Trekker Talk, a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. We'll be discussing the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series, as well as having side conversations about other areas of fandom. We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between. Trekker Talk is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher.
whether it's brightest day or blackest night, you should be listening to the Lantern Cast. I am vengeance. I am the night. I am back. You need to take the trash out. Hey, I'm trying to make a trailer for a podcast. Oh, you mean Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast? Why, yes, that is what I mean. The show where you and I discuss all things geeky. Comics, TV, movies, books, you name it. Well, are you going to tell them that you can find the show at www.supermatescomic.blogspot.com? Well, I think you kind of already did. And that new shows will be posted bi-weekly every two weeks? I was, but you just kind of did that too. Well, see, now you can go take out the trash. Great. So join us, Cindy. And Chris. Franklin. For the Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast at supermatescomic.blogspot.com. Okay, guys. Uh, as uh, uh, as I told you, we're going to do some listener feedback. We actually have some listener feedback to get through, and one of which is a pre-recorded segment, motherfuckers. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, so let's play the jingle. Same as the Jeffrey Peterson. Sex party. Uh, no, no, it's not sex party time. Try it again. Let me guess. Tweets and emails. Yes, tweets and emails. All right, so uh, first up, you want to introduce this one, Mark? This one is from Dan. <laughs> Dan Kersky's back, and he's not pissed off. Uh, we thought he might be, based on the reason why Chad wanted, kind of like teased him into leaving a message about uh, about the events in Lobo in general. Uh, but pretty much, Dan, pretty much, Dan will give his thoughts on Lobo and the Green Lantern books as a whole, which is pretty cool. All right, so uh, Dan left us a pre-recorded and pre-edited <laughs> and background music. I know inspired. the background music is a nice touch, <laughs> uh, like almost ten-minute uh, message. So uh, let's go ahead and play that, uh, and when we come back, we'll talk about it real quick. Hey, everybody! It's Dan! Yay! Our own Chad Bulkman texted me recently, repeatedly nudging me to catch up on Lobo and send him my thoughts on issue 11. He was very adamant about wanting me specifically to weigh in on issue 11 of Lobo, so I of course started thinking, who do I love that Lobo is gonna kill? (laughs) Jon Stewart's do, but he's off in his own universe, so he's safe. Are they gonna somehow find and blow up the Mosaic world? I don't know, so I got issues 10 and 11 of Lobo, and... I'm immediately intrigued with the premise of Sinestro contracting Lobo to hunt down and eliminate non-Yellow Lanterns. I mean, it makes sense. Sinestro's resources are needed elsewhere, and now's the perfect time to thin the herd while the greens are missing. The action in these issues gets a little repetitive, though, as everything Lobo says and does seems to be kind of on loop, and 
there's never any real creativity to the way the Lanterns fight back against him. I know Lobo can hold his own against a Kryptonian, but still, everyone went down too easily. Lobo used the power of main character to win these fights. I will give them this though, the tension is there. The fact that we're plowing through cannon fodder lanterns left and right while also taking known lanterns like Monk and Rancor off the board makes you wonder how far they'll go with this. I know this wouldn't be the first time we've seen an entire core pared down to exactly one surviving member and the main in Erebunny's lantern of that color is usually safe, but it's still enough to make me wonder what'll happen to Indigo 1 when I turn the page. Characterization is a big problem, though. I know they've been through some rough times, but Bleez and Rancor were utterly unrecognizable as characters based on what was coming out of their mouths. I love Colin Bunn on Sinestro, I think he nails that cast, but I really hope it's his co-writer on Lobo that's to blame for most of this, because I don't think the Bleez Rancor scene was written by anyone who ever actually read the second half of the Red Lantern series. Still, though, as soon as I saw Bleez rush home to the other Red Lanterns that have secretly been rebuilding their ranks, my first thought was, they're gonna kill that damn cat, aren't they? And lo and behold, Lobo chops Rage Kitty, my spirit animal, in half. And at this point, the violence in these issues start feeling like an empty waste. Not because Rage Kitty is one of my favorites. Taking out waves of random lanterns we've never seen before doesn't mean anything, because we don't care about them. Taking out second-tier lanterns that we do know, like Monk and Rancor and Rage Kitty, praise be his name, throws them away for seemingly no reason. And killing a main lantern like Atrocitus falls flat because the method makes no sense. Lobo figures that because the Red Ring is linked to the heart, he can bypass the power by stabbing Atrocitus in the heart and then annihilating him with gunfire. Only a Red Lantern's heart doesn't do anything, the ring replaces it. There was a scene in Blackest Night where Atrocitus' heart was ripped out of his body, and nothing happened because the body and ring don't need it for anything. But the worst part of the wholesale slaughter of the Red Lanterns was the fact that it was literally for nothing, as some mysterious rage mother just magically restored them all at the end of the issue anyway, reducing all those pages of illogical murder to being just a waste of time. Atrocitus being killed that way would have sucked, but at least killing him would have been something significant happening with an important player. I also don't really understand the point of going back on it with Atrocitus, Rage Kitty, and a bunch of new random reds, when all those other deaths are gonna stick. Maybe it would help to know anything significant at all about the Rage Mother, or what her powers even are, because she's literally nothing but a walking deus ex machina right now. So yeah, I was disappointed to see Rage Kitty die, and... I felt like I wasted my time when it all came undone at the end. I think I'm done with this particular story arc, I don't really care how it ends, and the overall quality isn't anywhere close to where I'd want it to be. 
Though I am tempted to pick up Lobo 13 because he's fighting an overpowered Hal Jordan, so it might be nice to see Lobo get his ass kicked. I probably shouldn't hold my breath, though, as Lobo's being written in a kind of Mary Sue-ish way in these two issues. He's the toughest and the smartest and great at everything, and he's edgy and he wins all the time for no reason other than the title of the book being Lobo. Beyond that, the Lantern books are in pretty good shape for the most part. The Hal book is in a state right now that I much prefer to the usual status quo. I love his look, I love the gauntlet, yeah, the whole ragtag gang and a talking ship flying around in a universe cut off from the Green Lantern Corps all gives me good memories of the animated series. Hal the Renegade having to search for the Corps and deal with their absence is infinitely more interesting than the story of Hal being on the run from the Corps, which is the story I thought they were going to tell. Lost Army? I was behind on that book when I found out it was ending, and I thought that was a real shame. Then I got caught up, and now I say it's probably for the best. Something about that book took a hard turn a few issues in. By the time they all wake up in jail, the overall quality of the book has taken a dive. They've got so many interesting questions to try and answer, but they keep spinning their wheels before even getting to ask any of them. I'm officially tired of them talking about whether or not Krona and Relic can be trusted, and and would like very much to move on from them establishing that they're in the pre-Big Bang universe Relic came from. I hope I like the Edge of Oblivion miniseries more than this, though I still find it really weird that it's the exact same book about the exact same characters doing the exact same thing, only it's being relaunched under a new name with new creators. Was this a sales thing? Did they need at least another year to move the core around, but weren't confident in the numbers to get the book to last another six issues the normal way? I, I don't know. All I know is, I want the focus to be put on how they got there, who did it to them, why they did it, and what's the deal with Christmas Guy. Sinestro continues to be the best Lantern book. He, he's finally getting what he always wanted, just in a different color. This book has always walked that line, portraying Sinestro as someone ultimately benevolent who you should never underestimate or cross. Now that he's finally begun throwing his weight around on a large scale, we can see that he does legitimately want to help people, but he'll never do it without understanding how it'll benefit him, and he'll do whatever brutal thing he needs to ensure the desired results. I have not read Star Trek Green Lantern yet, but I have hope for that one. I don't know specifics, but I've got the general sense that people like it, and I mean, at this point I'll probably just wait for the final two to come out and then read the whole thing at once. If it makes a significant impression, maybe I'll send in another recording. So before I go, it's shameless plug time! As some of you already know, I started up a new solo podcast where I explore my ever-expanding fandom, be it comics, movies, video games, anime, whatever I think is interesting enough to deserve really focusing in on for an episode or two. Sometimes it'll be all about the material itself, such as the analysis I did on Man of Steel, 
and other times I'll focus on concepts surrounding the material. For example, an upcoming episode is going to focus on the illusion of choice in video games. So if you enjoyed this segment I recorded for Chad and Mark to play, you'll probably like my podcast, because the length, the overall approach, and the production value is pretty much the exact same as most of my episodes, though I do put significantly more time and research into them. The name of the show is Dan's Fandom. New episodes come out every Monday and Thursday. Talk to everybody later. At least Dan definitely put some time in on that, and we appreciate that. And it's good mm-hmm. hearing from Dan again. Uh, I think on as I as I re-listened to it again, you know, when we were making the episode, I obviously had listened to it before. Most I agree with most. I actually agree with most of his points. <laughs> Same here. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with. I don't necessarily know, and, and, and this will be touched upon as we get into another feedback on this episode, actually, because the opposite view is taken about whether what would make what would have made a better storyline, what we're getting with Hal now, or if the core had been not missing in action and chasing him, <laughs> and or him being a renegade from it. But I think I'm not entirely sure if this is the. I think it makes it it's it's. It's cool from the point of view that he, as Hal even referenced in this issue of Green Lantern that we just did, what, 45? The fact that this isn't how it was supposed to be. <laughs> the whole point of him taking one for the team was to help clear their name and for them to, you know, make him the bad guy and come after him and stuff like that. So everything Hal did to make himself out to be kind of like a, the scourge of the universe is right now for naught because there's nobody to hunt him down. <laughs> uh, other than, you know, just lone idiots who want to put it, you know, take take him out just because he's, you know, he's a pseudo-lantern or whatever. So, I, I don't know if that made made for a better storyline. It was a nice, it was not what we expected, but I, and we also don't know what's going to happen when the core comes back. I mean, basic, based on the article that, you know, I posted the link to today about where Robert Venditti kind of is talking about his plans for at least leading up to Green Lantern 50, that it certainly seems like that, da- you know, down the road that Hal is definitely going to interact with the core again. We can pretty safely say not until you know the the edge of Oblivion storyline is either wraps up or is wrapping up. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a while before that happens. But we don't know when it once the, everybody's reunited if it's going to feel so good because <laughs> they may pick up where they left off and maybe Hal's gonna be still gonna be Public Enemy number one. And there's still a lot of unanswered questions and hopefully Edge of Oblivion will answer some. Like where the hell are the friggin' Templar Guardians? That would be a nice one to find out too. But um, I think. But why don't you talk about some of his points, and I'll think of other. Well, I don't. I don't want to talk too much about his points. I. I will say just for this, just for saying it, that I also agree with Dan's points. I just think that expanding on them is something we'll probably get to in uh, in the State of the Green Lantern universe, especially when he was talking about how it is that Lobo is able to take out lanterns. <laughs> Which was one of my biggest pet peeves, if you will, about the uh, last issue, especially number 10. 
I agree. Right. That's a point that I definitely agree with him on that they're making it that, and the power of the main, you know, the power of the main character. I thought that was nicely put. I think that is true. I think it's because Lobo is the main character, so that's why he's able to take out. And again, Monkey, maybe you can stretch it and say, yeah, okay, but Rank, you know, Rank. Yeah, come on. I think Rancor had established himself enough where he should have been able to do a little better against against Lobo. But especially since obviously we've seen in the last two issues, Lobo doesn't exactly have the, a complete dossier in who he's dealing with. Right. So that and that's another big flaw, one way or the other, other than the fact that Sinestro could be feeding him shit on purpose because, you know, <laughs> Sinestro doesn't like any other than Sinestro. He doesn't really like anybody, so it makes a lot of sense that Sinestro would. Maybe this guy can help take out like three quarters of the lanterns I don't like, but then maybe somebody will take him out, and then I'll be really in good shape. <laughs> so, <clears throat> sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <clears throat> no, no problem. Yeah, I just, you know, that's 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 the way I feel about it. Is I just feel like, you know, uh, a, a lot of a lot of the points is, is stuff that we're probably going to get to in that episode when we when we get to it. So, but otherwise, I agree with him and kind of expand on that once we get there it's just that i don't know uh i agree with him about sinestro although i feel like sinestro is a little scatterbrained from time to time if let's i'm forgetting the lobo tie-ins if you go from sinestro 15 to sinestro 16 you're like wait what what we're all of a sudden where now <laughs> like they do they no pun in, they do have a lot of balls in the air at the same time there's no mm-hmm. there's there's no doubt about that i mean that, but at least now we're starting to get like with the one of the first ones that was tossed up is coming back down with the with the pale vickers and the paling that yeah because really we really think about it in in the course of a book that don't, that hasn't been around for for two full years yet we have we've had the pale vickers we've had the corgorians we've had the rebuilding of the core, the traitors of the core, all that stuff, you know, uh, all, whatever the subplot with Becca, we've had the uh, what you call now we have we have Lobo. I'm probably missing something, but those are for those. Yeah, are, those dudes that were hunting down. Oh yeah, yeah oh yeah, the uh, the Apex League. There you go. And oh, Mongol, we forgot about Mongol. So they've mm-hmm. had they've had a they've really. So your point, that's pretty dead on. I, I think it's overall, it's worked more times than it's not. But I do, but I, I think that's a good way of describing it. It has kind of been, it kind of has been scattered. And it also makes you wonder, I mean, I think it's for a reason because they are trying to establish that maybe in a way it's kind of showing that Sinestro himself is kind of scattered, that he is, that he's kind of being torn in different, in different directions, that he kind of wants to save his people, but yet he wants, now he has the opportunity to set his, to set his core up as the, you know, the dominant force in the universe, and he's got to do that, so then he's got to be proactive, and he's got to deal with these guys, and he's got to make sure there's no other lanterns, or, so maybe, it's, they may all be part of the same goal, most of, most of that, most are focused in the same directions, even though the Korrigorians kind of take them and, you know, pull them aside here or there. But, well, I think we'll have a better, we'll have a, we will have a better idea, I think, certainly once the status, where the Green, like, where the Sinestro core is and what the status quo is in the universe when the Green Lanterns come back. So. But yeah, I, otherwise I think kind of Dan's points speak for themselves. <clears throat> Um, other feedback? You want me to do the Laurel one? Uh, I can do it. It's up to you. Okay, um, let's see. 
we have a, a, an email here from Laurel, uh, Laurel, one of our listeners, Laurel, uh, for one of the first times she's writing. And she actually wrote in uh, before letting me know that there was an issue uh, uh, downloading the Ion episode, which we fixed, which she thanks us for fixing. And then she gets into her comments. Uh, over the last three months or so, I've listened to all of your current issue review episodes, beginning with the number 21 issues. Uh, I like that you're I like your detailed recaps and the extra time you take to get into what's happening. I often find myself laughing along with you guys as you read parts out loud with appropriate goofy comic book voices. I don't know what you're talking about. Goofy comic book voices. Um, we, we do do that once in a while. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I do it more than you do. Yes, that's mostly me. Thank you, Laurel. But once in a while, you do it. <laughs> um, I have noticed improvements in your recap deliveries. They're much smoother now, although I think you can continue to improve by keeping a character name and description list nearby for handy reference and trying to limit using you know so much while doing a recap. Good point. <laughs> Definitely good point. Uh, as someone who edits these episodes, <laughs> I am acutely aware of the amount of times I in particular say um <laughs> – and, and it's, specifically, it's, you know, and the amount of times that like Mark pauses and stuff like that. So when Mark pauses for a prolonged period of time between recaps or something like that, I have to edit those out. When I say, um, and you know, I try and limit those. So Mark and I both do things <laughs> that doing something small like you're suggesting could definitely help us. So I definitely appreciate that suggestion. And depending on the issue review, I definitely try to uh write down some notes so i think that's maybe why it's kind of getting better like i i know i wrote down some ca some character names when we were doing the uh i think we, i think it was maybe the when we did the quarterly i wrote some of those down and the same thing even with the uh i don't think it, i don't think it was the i but i i try to take i try to take some notes I think it makes it. I think it does make it easier. Too bad I didn't write tolerance down before we started that episode. But then again, what is it, did it really matter all that much? No. <laughs> um, your opinions are clearly stated, and you keep any rants to a decent length. Sometimes a good rant is deserved, so don't worry about holding back too tightly when you get riled up. I usually find myself nodding along with you. That Thank must you. be mostly you. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with your criticism of Hal's depiction during Tan's time on the book. That's for you. Uh, for, uh, for an <laughs> I thought artist it was for both of us, really, oh, but yeah. yes, I'm the one who, who kind of carries that flag into battle more than you. <laughs> for an artist with such talent in every other area, like really cool-looking aliens and great location details, I don't understand why he struggles to draw Hal. I always had the impression Hal was supposed to be a very square-jawed hero, and he definitely should be filled out more than Sinestro. Tan's version is far too slim, and often Hal's face is distorted to the point that even his eyes appear uneven. Of course, Hal's current hairdo does not help the art. It's just awful. Even Van Skyver couldn't make those long flowing locks work. If the long hair is supposed to be a disguise, why has Hal been using his real name? If it's supposed to show Hal's ragged from being on his own, why is, why is he always clean-shaven? This, this look just doesn't make sense. <laughs> Good points. Yep, good points. Did not think of it to look at it that way. Obviously, we've just been kind of bitching about the way he looks as opposed to analyzing it, but that's a, that's a good point. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> um, I think having the Green Lantern Corps disappear so soon after Hal began his renegade charade has really hurt the narrative. The Black Hand Source Wall story would be so much more interesting if Hal had to dodge the various Lantern Corps at the same time. 
It could really spotlight his ingenuity and resolve. I'd love to see him pit one Lantern Corps member against another while he sidesteps them all. That fly-by-the-seat-of-his-pants attitude suits big chase scenes. Faster pacing would help, too. Not much happens issue-to-issue right now. I wonder if Venditti is being held back by a timing situation with DC Editorial. Fair point. Uh, yes, that's a good point. Yep, I I would agree. So I, I would agree. Um, I wonder how many. Like I was just thinking during this episode, although I didn't say anything out loud, when we were talking about Sinestro and like all all the balls up in the air with Sinestro. I wonder if like the whole reason the Green Lantern Corps hasn't yet come back into this universe, like the whole reason the Edge of Oblivion is happening, as opposed to just lost Lost Army just suddenly popping him back into our universe. Is what if Cullen Bunn's got this grand master plan that by the time the Green Lantern Corps pops back into the universe, he wants the Sinestro Corps to be an established peacekeeping force? Oh yeah, or- I I think I would agree with that. I think I think absolutely the plan the plans were set in motion. I think you could make the case it was set in motion even before that the Sinestro book started, but certainly let's say from the latter. Once we got close to the first year of Sinestro going forward, uh, when it was filling out what the next year's uh, year's worth of books were going to be about, that you, that once the and once DC approved, you know, the idea that you know the Green Lantern Corps just suddenly disappearing after conversions and everything. That I don't think there's I don't think there's a doubt. There's certainly not a doubt in my mind that the whole idea, the real reason to take them off the board was to help the the idea of Sinestro. Having the golden opportunity, literally now, to set his core up as the most powerful force in the universe, as the replacement for the Green Lantern Corps, and then having the Green Lanterns come back into it once that is, once he has established it, even if they haven't, had, you know, they don't necessarily have to have a long track record under their belt, but it's clear now there's a new sheriff in town, then the old sheriff comes back in, and then to see, you know, the conflict between that. So I'm I'm sure that. The reason why Lost Army wasn't, oh, they just, or didn't give him like just one, like a one shot to wrap this up in and not do another six issues was just because, for that reason, that the Sinestro core, the Sinestro rising concept, even if though the banner may not continue, that the idea that Sinestro is rising and he's, he's about to hit his apex, if you will, potentially of power, that he's not there yet. And if he came back now, that kind of short circuits probably the plans they have for the book. So I do think they're absolutely intertwined. Yeah, but as I was saying, um, what I, what I was trying to say was, you know, not just not just that, but that it, it causes a domino effect. You know, we're waiting. Cullen's trying to get to a point where he can legitimately say that Sinestro and the Sinestro Corps is the established peacekeeping force in the universe, and that by the time the Green Lantern Corps show up, they just can't resume duties as usual. They have to kind of deal with that new. Not just they can't just take out the core. They also have to the universe or part of the universe at least trusts the Sinestro yes. core to some extent. Yeah, and, 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 and well, hang on one sec. And that's and that's kind of what I was saying is that it's causing a domino effect. It's not just that that uh, at the end of Lost Army they can't come into the universe because of what Colin was waiting to do with with uh, the Sinestro core. It's just as a deep as a Green Lantern editorial office, all the books are affected by what Cullen wants to do with, with Sinestro and Venditti on Green Lantern knows what the state of the Green Lantern universe is going to roughly be by the time Sinestro 
uh, and company have to face the fact that the Green Lantern Corps has re-entered, quote-unquote, our universe. So what Venditti is doing right now is just telling what stories he can until he gets to, you know, the this this mile marker that he knows is coming up. And then he, he's got a plan from that point on, but until then he's just kind of killing time. That's probably – there's probably a lot of – there's I would say there's probably a lot of truth in that. I think that um, <clears throat> part of the dynamic that, that we're going to see is because of where the Green Lanterns were as far as how the universe viewed them when they disappeared. You know, they were pretty much – they were either hated, they're not trusted, they're viewed as hypocritical, all that stuff that – Sinestro, yes, they're going to be able. To, he has the opportunity to establish a core, which, even though, which at the very least, majority, a huge percentage of the universe, or the majority of the universe, is going to say that at least they're, you know, at least they're not the Green Lantern Corps. At least they're not hypocrites. At least they're not, you know, at least they they t- if there's a if there's a trouble if there's a problem in their midst, they take it out and they you know put a bullet in its head, like Sinestro has kind of already shown that. He, Scapegoats, so they were, but he's not afraid to take it to take out, you know, to thin his own herd if 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 he if it serves a purpose and sends a message. So that, that the Green Lantern Corps is not just going to have a, a, a power vacuum that's already going to be filled that they're going to be trying to fight to get back in, you know, into in there. It's going to be the fact that they're going to have a lot less w- people willing to give them a chance because the Sinestro Corps seemingly has is much more reliable, and they're not just killing people left and right. They're not just hurting people that, you know, like we saw in the, in the last issue with Sinestro, with you know, with the Manhunters bringing down the food and the water and the supplies and how they're going to terraform. That they're actually doing good to win people over. So yeah, that that's going to it will make an interesting dynamic. What 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 if you have a what if you have a Green Lantern Corps in the uni, in a universe and the universe doesn't want them, <laughs> mm-hmm. or doesn't feel like they need them anymore? So I think that's probably what yes, that's probably where we're headed. Uh, con- con- continuing uh, Laurel's email here. Uh, while I while I like Trapper and Virgo as part of Hal's supporting cast, I don't think Hal forcing Darlene to work for him suits his character. I think he'd be more inclined to convince her to work with him rather than force her to obey, even if she is an artificial intelligence. There may be reasons we don't know about yet for his behavior, but since we've not gotten any real backstory of how he found Darlene yet, I just don't like it. I kind of agree, I but. For me, I more agree just because I think Darlene's starting to get annoying now, as opposed to a part of the story. Yeah, I she, I I agree. She's just kind of like being whi- like a whiny bitchy kind of character at this point. That yeah, she she seemingly only exists to take a shot at Hal whenever she can to t- spit out some sarcastic comment, and it's like you're just waiting for it, you know. Uh, she finishes up. She says, "I'm not sure how long it takes you to make each episode of the Lantern Cast, or exactly what steps you go through." Uh, if you can take a few minutes to run us through the process, that would be great. In any case, thanks for taking the time to do the show. I don't have any real big comic fans to discuss Green Lantern with, so listening to your comments help fill in that gap. Keep up the good work, Laurel. Well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and, and, and take the reins on that last part, mostly because it's my own fault. Uh, <laughs> when, when Mark and I took over the Lantern cast, Jim uh, spent like an hour and a half, two hours on a Skype call with me teaching me how to edit episodes. Still haven't taught Mark how to do that. (laughs) 
I, although at this point, I think just kind of from poking around on our server and, you know, kind of looking at things and, and things like that, you, you've probably gotten a, a natural feel for it a little bit. Yeah, Obviously I think so. Specifics. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so just, just for shits and giggles, tonight, typically we record uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, something like that. Uh, sometimes Thursday, sometimes weekends, but usually towards the beginning of the week. We usually start about 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, and as of right now, it is 11.12. Not going to matter to you when you actually hear this episode, but since Laurel asked for specifics, um, obviously we've been recording now or talking or something like that for roughly two two hours, two hours and a quarter, something like that. Um, that all gets recorded via a Skype call because Mark and I are talking via Skype at the moment. Um, that is recorded with some sort of iFree Skype recorder software. Um, it is uh, exported into an MP3 or WAV file, uh, and we, uh, Mark um, uploads it to the server. Now, typically, Mark and I both record the episode, but I'm having issues with the Internet at my apartment, so I am speaking to you guys right now via the Skype app on my phone, and I can't really record our episodes on my iPhone. So Mark is recording it, and we'll upload it to the server. The next day, I download it from the server onto my work computer at work, and when I am not busy doing my actual job, um, you know, in, in my free moments during lunch, something like that, I have a program called Audacity. It's a free audio editing program. Uh, I go in, and I edit things such as ums and you knows and silences and pauses and coughs and farts and well not farts but you get the idea we've been, um, we've been pretty good on that front so far <laughs> stuff, stuff like that out of there i i add the intro i do fade-ins and stuff like that and and to just to get real technical obviously we uh, when the bad man pajamas daniel cynical adams uh, band gave us the intro they gave us a full mp3 clip well it's got its own sort of natural fade out but I don't like the listeners having to come in with a straight, like, guitar riff at max volume, so I do a little bit of a fade-in on the start of that MP3. And then I sort of overlap the fade-out of the song and the start of our episode. And then I, you know, I edit out all the, the various things. If there's a pause, I throw in promos. I have an entire library, uh, I have an entire folder set, subset of uh, promos that I can choose from that I add in, typically about three of them. Um, sometimes I intersperse those in between the promos with little clips like, you know, this is Daryl Banks and you should be listening to the Lantern cast or, um, uh, you know, Ron Mars or, you know, something, something a little clippy like that. Um, then we come in, if we do feedback, I, I, I try and choose a, a, a theme of Craig Ferguson's old tweets and emails segment jingle that I, we haven't used, uh, in the last episode, throw that together, add in the outro and so on and so forth. All told, even though this is two-hour-ish episode, it takes me about all day to edit it. Uh, not necessarily because it, that's how long it takes, but just because I'm doing it at work and I have other things popping up depending on how busy I am throughout the day. It can take all day or it can take two days depending on how busy I am. Once all of that is done, I make sure everything is – I give it one last listen through. I export it as an MP3 file and I upload it to our server with a very specific file name. Um, and at that point, 
were still not uploaded yet onto iTunes and Stitcher. There are three different coded files that uh, we have to edit. Um, uh, basically, I copy and paste the code from the previous episode that published, you know, successfully, and I just edit it. I edit the description. I edit the link to the specific um, URL for the MP3 that we uploaded. I edit the title, you know, all of this stuff. I edit the – I make sure I have the exact size on disk that the, uh, the, the file, the MP3 for that episode is. I – um, I make sure I have the exact length because I, uh, I totally forgot to mention this. After I export it as an MP3 file from Audacity, I import it into iTunes, edit it some more there, not audio-wise, but like in, uh, adding album art and stuff like that. I get the exact time length down to the seconds of how long it is, and then I add that into the coded files. Make sure there are no typos because if there's a single typo mishap, it'll mess up how it shows up in iTunes or if it even shows up at all. Once I make sure it's completely fine, then I copy and paste that same code into all three different files, then re-upload that code back into our server, and then the episode is posted. And since iTunes and Stitcher take forever to refresh, I actually uh, my Surface has a podcasting app that I found that actually updates as I use it. So as soon as I pull it up, it's refreshing the most current stuff. And as soon as I select our RSS feed that I imported into the podcasting app that I have on my Surface 2, it automatically checks for the most recent content. So I can automatically tell by, on my Surface whether or not it went through. If I don't see it there automatically on my Surface 2, I know something is wrong. That's how it works with the Lantern Cast. <laughs> And then of course we we'll put it on, on the web and the regular website too. Yes. Making the, or making the page and having the link to the MP3 to the MP3 file and the player so that people can listen to it and all these so. And then we also take the link to that we once we post it to our web page, we also take that link to our web page and post it on Twitter and Facebook and to a lesser extent Instagram once we get around to it or I get around to it. <clears throat> so there's a lot that actually goes into it. Um, so sometimes when scheduling demands, we can't hook up to record or we used to record on Tuesdays, but I've kind of gotten to Tuesdays are typically my day off guys. I'm usually off on Sundays and Tuesdays. I work in the car business, so I'm off on every Sunday, but if Tuesday happens to fall on the last day of the month, then I am not off on Tuesday because the last day of the month is really busy in the car business. So I have to take some other random day off <clears throat> during that week. But typically, I'm off Sundays and Tuesdays, and I started getting to the point where I was like, actually, I can't record on Tuesday nights anymore because Tuesdays are my day off. I don't want to like end my day off early because i got to be at home to record. As much as I like doing this show, regardless of whether we're talking eye on a threshold, both sides of the spectrum, <laughs> I don't want to give up my day off. You know, you know, I could be out drinking and hanging out with friends or watching a game or you know something like that. I'd rather do it Monday night or Wednesday night or Thursday night or something like that. So typically Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, lately the market's been what, like a Wednesday, Thursday? Yeah, I think, well, that was, yeah, last week, last week we recorded, but on a th Thursday we did the stuff with, with Ryan, right? Yeah, the stuff with the Secret Origins podcast. And then so, when, so Wednesday we did the... We did the threshold episode, so yeah, I'd say probably probably Wednesdays have been the main day we've been recording lately. Mm -hmm. It's also a little difficult too because 
ever since Mark and I took over the show, and it's not difficult. It's, so, it's something I, I want to do. Um, I'm big into podcasting. Mark, uh, you said you only listen to like one other podcast regularly, and even then you're kind of behind, right? I'm pretty, I'm pretty much behind. I, 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 so, the way things are going, sometimes I struggle to keep up with ours, though I, I think for the most part, at least as far all our regular episodes, I'm pretty much caught up with. <laughs> I listened to Threshold this week, so... <laughs> You like that intro? Yeah. I some awesome editing Yeah, it was, yes. I'll pat you on the back some more, Chad. It was good. <laughs> I'm proud of myself. I'm getting to learn Audacity a little a little bit more every day. Uh, but anyways, um, because I'm big into podcasting, and I don't mean just recording a show. I like listening to podcasts. Uh, there's Sean Ingalls, just one of the guys, unfortunately, ended. Um, there's things like Ryan Daly's Secret Origins podcast, currently my favorite podcast on the internet that I'm listening to. Close second, there's a Dwayne Feenstra, um, one of our listeners and a, actually a comic book creator himself, is involved with a podcast called The Final Issue Podcast. Really great show highlighting the sort of intricacies of the comics industry as a whole. Um, sort of a panel discussion show, really good. Taking a lot of notes and cues from that, by the way, in terms of format on uh, – for when we are do our State of the Union or State of the Green Lantern Union address, because uh, I think that's a good format to go with. Fire and Water podcast, uh, the DC Comics Presents show. Um, I haven't listened to an episode yet, but I started downloading um, uh, the Marvel Comics Nam podcast based on the the Vietnam series because I got I was at Half Price Books uh, several several months ago, and I saw. Um, a run of Marvel Comics, the NOM, in the back issue bins. And I'm talking, like, issues one through, like, 30-something solid. And I got, like, the first 12 or 20 or so of those issues because I've always heard that the Marvel Comics NOM series is really good. And I wanted to branch out a little bit because I'm not much of a comic person outside of superheroes, but I wanted to try a good war comic. So I figured, what the hell, NOM? Um, haven't read it yet, but I'm gearing up for that. For that's why I have those episodes downloaded, and it's it's a whole thing. I listen to tons of different podcasts, and a lot of those podcasts are part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Um, there's a great podcast that just came out very recently called From Darkness to Light. It's a podcast that explores, and I think I've played a promo on yes, the, you uh, have. for us once. Yes, it's a great podcast that explores religion within pop culture. Specifically, more comic-based pop culture, but and it's not—it's not—but it's not preachy. It's uh—it's more of you know they are highlighting the religious aspects within. Uh, their their first main episode was covering episode nine, I think, of the Netflix original Daredevil series, where it had a very heavily religious undertone overtone to it, and with Matt Murdock being a Catholic and. His, you know, the, the the priest being somebody he confides in, it's a whole thing. So they, they really delved into that, and I thought it was an interesting academic and theological approach to it. But anyways, all that to say, all that's part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and then their family of people that listen to their show and do their own podcasts and so on and so forth. Well, I'm part of a group or a message thread on Facebook that occasionally gets I they, they come up with theme ideas. That's how we got the collaborative Conway crossover caper the thing that we did because a lot of different people wanted to support Jerry Conway, and we decided as a group of podcasters we'd all do our own spin on it. Well, one of the ideas currently being banded about on that 
is since Murphy Anderson recently passed away, what if we all do sort of a Murphy Anderson themed kind of a thing, whether it's 20 minutes or a two hour thing, whatever it is you do based on your particular podcast. Now, Mark and I haven't talked about it because I don't know what we could do because Murphy Anderson was really more of an inker for Green Lantern. But if there's something we can do, maybe we'll talk about it. Maybe we'll do it. Maybe we won't. But that's that's in addition to what we do for the Lantern cast, because I'm so heavily involved in the podcasting side of things outside of actually physically podcasting, but listening and interacting with other podcasters. Sometimes we do things like guest appearances or crossovers or stuff like that. So the collaborative Conway crossover caper is one of them. What we just mentioned on this episode that we appeared on Ryan Daly's secret origins podcast. That's another. So we do things outside of just the lantern cast, whether it's involving prep or actual recording. Yes, it can be, it's fun, but it can be a time consuming process. (laughs) For sure. For sure. And there are things that we want to do like, I threw this idea out a long time ago, and even though Mike and Rich's flashback podcast has ended, I still want to have them on and talk about the Flash Faster Friends, the Green Lantern and Flash Faster Friends two-issue prestige thing. Yeah. Whenever that happens, if it ever happens, no idea. But I had that idea a long time ago that we should have them on and do a crossover. Unfortunately, now it's to the point where their podcast is over, so we'd have to host you know, the full episode or both episodes or whatever. Um, but still it's an idea. So tons of stuff that we do for this to to get ready for the show and promote the show and stuff like that. I have been tempted on occasion to pay the money to do an ad on Facebook for anybody who's interested in comics or Green Lantern and have it show up in people's Facebook feed, but I just can never justify the money. So (laughs) there are times when I see like, when I'm on Twitter or Facebook and I see other podcasts or um, character-specific fan sites or something, and their social media page has like likes and follows that exceed our own, and I get a little disheartened by it. But then we get emails like people, you know, like 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 you, you know, that that send us in this stuff. Um, whether whether it be Andy, which we'll get to in a second, or Laurel that just sent us in because we haven't heard from Laurel before. When Mark and I say send us in feedback, we mean that not just because we want to hear from you guys, but it's also, you know, it's comforting to know that you're out there listening and that you're enjoying it or you hate it, (laughs) one of the two, um, and that you're, you're paying attention. It's not, it's, it's more than just getting specific thoughts from other people because Mark and I are in sync now. We're sort of know what each other is thinking in regards to these titles, it's good to hear other perspectives, but it's also to really comforting to know we're not just speaking into the ether, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, so it's, it's when we, when we ask and sometimes beg for feedback, we're not doing it just because we're like, Oh, give us another like on Facebook and, you know, make us more popular so we can get more interviews and whatever. It's, it's really nice to know that people are out there listening and they care enough to, to spend a minute or two and write in. So that's cool. Yes, and we've gotten a good amount of feedback over the last couple of weeks, so that's kind of that's been a nice nice change of pace. <laughs> true, true. Um, but we got a we got an email from Andy. Do you have anything else you want to elaborate on in the posting process, or anything else that Laurel mentioned? Um, I think I think you covered I think you covered you know the posting 
the posting process pretty much in good detail. Uh, <laughs> Probably too much. Well, <laughs> uh, people, you, you lifted the curtain, so that's not a bad thing. People will, I mean, if people somebody will asked for it. <laughs> yeah, and and it, and it could help other people who were thinking, who were either doing a thinking about doing a podcast, and if they wanted to have an idea of what it would entail, give or take, then you pretty much laid it out, laid it all out for them. So, so that's so that's not. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm skimming through our email real quick to see if there's anything we haven't touched upon. Um, do, 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 do. I think we, I think we did touch on, on every major point, I think, in her email one way or the other. So I think it was a really good email, Laurel. Please mm-hmm. yeah, send us another one, please. So do Andy's. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, Andy Macon. I mean, Joe also sent us one about the link you know, re- related to the Green Lantern Lost Army coming back. You know, I guess I think it's a, a, almost like a solicit link for the for the first issue of the of that series, which starts in what, January of 2016. So that's so that's pretty cool. So hopefully that series will pick be a little more have a little more oomph to it than Lost Army and get us to where we need to go. So let's do Andy's email. Hi, guys. Started listening to the Threshold episode today, and I just saw that you want quick feedback, so here goes. For a start, I think that your approach to the subject matter was great. It was a really fun listen. I like that even though you clearly didn't want to do it, you still gave it a good shot. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> uh, a very pertinent comment came from Chad when you, when you, as in you, Chad, said that despite reading it over, uh, you still couldn't make any sense of it. Well, I only had vague memories of it, and I have to say that after hearing your synopsis, I'm really none the wiser, <laughs> which I think he means as a compliment, but somehow I think we failed. <laughs> With regards to Threshold, we're always going to feel like we failed. That's true, too. But we're not the only ones. Uh, <laughs> or we were failed as fans. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> your failure is now complete. Uh, I think that is. I think that must mean that you did a great job. Uh, you took an impenetrable story where it was impossible to identify with and invest in the characters, and you showed that it was the story that was at fault and not us, the readers. Yay! <laughs> That's for you, Dan. Uh, <laughs> uh, a great job. Well done. You did it so that we don't have to. Thanks for that. All the best, Andy. <laughs> well, we kind of knew that was part of the reason why people... You okay? I'm sorry. It's okay. My, uh... I'm drinking some Angry Orchard hard cider, and it went down the wrong throat. <coughs> you should have been drinking that during the uh, Threshold episode. <laughs> I didn't have it then. <laughs> didn't plan ahead. Uh, <laughs> we, we need to take notes and have booze. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think we know a lot of people wanted us to do that episode. I think we touched upon it in the episode just simply mm. because they had no intention of reading it. So, so this way they could say, well, we know what happened in it for what it's worth without reading it and hoping that we would at least make the episode entertaining. So I think based on limited feedback so far, I think we at least made the episode entertaining, if nothing else. For sure. For sure. It was, I got to say, it was, it was fun. Uh, it was fun editing that one, too. Not just for the cool little, like, so, oh God. I had to listen to because those clips I got at the beginning. I know of that episode, was a lot of research. You, you you definitely deserve a pat on the back for that. When I was listening, even when you sent it to me the first time, I mean, I I did know obviously you were taking things from this episode and things from that because you go back to to the you know to Lantern Cast 1.0 before we took it over. Then there was stuff from when you and I were doing episodes. So that was 
Yeah, that wasn't easy to just narrow it down to begin with to find the episodes to begin with, let alone finding the clips. And then you did a good job. You did a really good job putting it together. And it works really well, especially as the as the pre-intro before the music. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So I did that. Uh, I was the, originally the transition effect because I have so. I okay. So I, on my desktop at work and at home. I've got a folder with Lantern Cast-related stuff, and I have it split up into audio and images and stuff like that, various folders. And within the audio folder, there's other folders. There's intros and outros and themes and stuff like that. Well, I also have a folder for transition effects. One of them is the static transition effect from Robot Chicken. One of them is the ring transition effect, which is just the ring sound the from, I guess, Super Friends or something like that. And initially, I had the ring transition effect between those two. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this for Halloween. But we don't really mention Halloween throughout this episode until towards the end. And I really don't know if I want to find a track that just goes through, like, a, uh, you know, spooky music that I want throughout the whole episode. It's like, all right, so I got to – I guess that leaves me with doing, you know, spooky music behind the clips. So I was like, all right, I did that. But then the ring transition didn't make sense with the spooky music. I was like, okay, let me play around. Oh, the static transition works better. <laughs> so I did that. And I was like, oh, damn it. I, this isn't going to work. I, it doesn't feel like I, I feel like I'm missing something. And I was like, oh, creepy laugh. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what you hear there is not music that naturally transitions into a creepy laugh. It is three different clips from three different episodes. <laughs> Transition effect of static between them, fade in and fade out, overlapped and and with the undercurrent of creepy music, tapered off at just the right point to where there's creepy laughter right after we mentioned that we were going to do it for an episode of Halloween, and then the creepy laugh fades out and then you go into the intro. <laughs> like so, that was that was cool in and of itself. But just editing the episode together, trying to figure out like, it was fun because like trying to figure out what I should take out based on pauses and ums and ohs, not just because, because typically you listen to those things and you go, okay, this isn't, this is making our episode longer or, you know, Mark, you know, you, you like to pause during your recaps of things. So like, but I don't, it, I don't like to pause. Sometimes well, I switch you know gears. I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes uh, I struggle for, a, for my next point of reference of re- something of, re- something of relevance in the plot when I'm kind of like, trying to sum up a lot of stuff where nothing's happening and I try to move it forward and then I, my wheels are turning and I go silent because I don't, instead of rambling. Well, yeah, it's, it's better than you know, nonsensically talking because like, you know, at, at least it gives me a clear delineation. Like I can see it as I'm editing. I can see, okay, Mark's going to pause here. I can just edit this right out as opposed to seeing like a little blip. And he said, you know, something relevant that I need to somehow stitch together with the next thing he says, you know, he just goes quiet so I can just edit out that silence. Well, when you're talking about a bad comic issue, sometimes the silences should be left in for comedic effect. So it was interesting trying to edit that episode, figuring out what I should take out just because it hampered the the forward progress of the episode and what I should intentionally leave in just because it made it funnier. <laughs> you, you, we should release we should release the director's cut, which is like an extra hour of just silence. <laughs> <laughs> sporadically <laughs> cut into the episode. You don't know when it's going to happen, but there's going to be some dead, dead periods. 
Uh, uh, but that was fun. <clears throat> so I'm glad you liked it, Andy. I, and we've got some other... Um, I know Jesse said he was starting to listen to the episode, and I know that uh, uh, Sean, Cajun Sean on, on Twitter, said he was starting to listen to it today. I told him to send us an email, and he's like, my, t- my tweet was my feedback, and I was like, Psh. we don't talk about Twitter anymore. On- <laughs> but, 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 but it was funny, because like, oh, I just started, I love it. It's like it's, it's a train wreck or something to that effect. <laughs> Yeah, I assume yeah. he means. I hope he means, as in, what, really the subject matter more than our coverage of it. <laughs> True, because he was one of the ones adamantly pushing us to do this episode. <laughs> he was one of the ringleaders behind us, getting trying to get us to do Threshold. So if he doesn't like the finished product, I don't know what I'm going to say to him. Be careful what you <laughs> wish for. That's right. I'm drinking Angry Orchard right now, so you don't don't fuck with me. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um. Probably put a beep there. Speaking of creative editing. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, that's going to do it for the feedback on this episode. Uh, if you guys want to send us more and more and more feedback, Mark, how do they do that? They could do it by emailing us, lanterncast at gmail.com, lanterncast at gmail.com. Please visit our website, lanterncast.com. Get our new episodes, Ring Cyclopedia episodes, Dark Star reviews. There'll be more stuff coming. Don't worry, people. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to find us on any of those. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, so please listen to us on either or both and leave positive reviews. And last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, 708Lantern. 708Lantern, and let us know what you think. Uh, real quick, wanted to reiterate those reviews, guys. We haven't gotten a new review in a while. Um so and Laurel, like I know Laurel, uh, just one of the first times you've uh, sent an email to us. So really appreciate that. If you guys out there have been listening to us for a while and haven't yet submitted us a review um, on iTunes or Stitcher, please, please, please do so. Um, really would really appreciate that. We haven't gotten a new one of those in a while. Um, and, you know, if you're going to leave us a review on one or the other, just copy and paste it to the other uh, because – We've got, I think as of right now, we got one review over on Stitcher. We have a lot over on iTunes, but it's more for the old show. There are a couple over there in regards to Mark and myself, which is awesome and great. Thank you guys for doing that. Um, but that more happened after Mark and I had put out like 10 or so episodes and people got used to us and, you know, <laughs> finally figured out that we weren't going to take the ship down with us. <laughs> <laughs> So, Nowhere to go it up. Well, shit, uh, it's November now, so we've been at this for what two yeah, years? Yeah, I'm just thinking about that. I think our, I think our first episode didn't actually get published until December. So I think probably the first ep- first week in December, or the the first episode that we publish, if we put one out that week, that I think that'll be yeah, our our two years. Yeah. So Mark and I have been at this together for two years now, and the Lantern Cast as a whole. Uh, I want to say mid-November is the actual Lantern cast official uh, when the first episode aired anniversary. So sometime in mid-November. So mid-November, Lantern cast will be seven years old. So for sure, guys. Um, Mark and I have been at this for two years. The Lantern cast has been at this for seven years. We would love some more uh, reviews on both Stitcher and iTunes. And if you leave us a, a review on one, copy and paste it to the other, please. Would love to see that. 
or come up with a completely new one if you're a creative person. I don't care. Uh, just leave us a review. We'd love to see those pop up. And if you do, please, 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 please email us or tweet us or post on our Facebook or something letting us know. Because to my knowledge, I don't think we get a notification if we get a new review. So I don't want to miss it out. I don't want to miss out on it. Like if you guys leave us a review, let us know you left it. Regardless of whether it's a sentence or like two paragraphs, we want to know that we have a new review. So definitely shoot us a, uh, a tweet or whatever, just letting us know that it's up. Because we definitely want to, you know, give you a shout out on, on the show and thank you for doing that. Yes, thank you very much. And, and it's good to, and it's like Chad said, it's good to have the, if we can get a notice, it's good to know because then sometimes we can sometimes plan accordingly for, you know, the episode depending on what we're going to cover. Sometimes. Sometimes the subject matter is shorter, so it doesn't matter how much feedback, and sometimes it's a little longer, and we have to make decide like maybe when to space it out, depending on the topic. So tonight mm-hmm. was, you know, today, today was a pretty long episode, but we fit in everything, so it wasn't really an issue. <laughs> right. Like, for instance, Dan's voicemail thing that he left us, we got that before we started recording Threshold, but obviously we weren't going to talk about it on the Threshold episode because it was relevant to the issues that we were discussing in our current issue review. So... There are times when you guys are going to send us feedback that we won't get to it immediately because we think it'd be more relevant to discuss on a, on a different episode. So don't don't feel disheartened that we don't get to your feedback immediately on the next episode you hear after you send us a, some feedback. Th- that just means that there's a more relevant uh, uh, episode coming that your feedback will be more thoroughly addressed in. Nicely put. All right. I'm rambling because I'm pacing and I'm drinking, so not that one angry orchard beer is gonna or hard cider is gonna do anything to me anyways. But anyways, uh, so guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh any any questions or comments, reviews, just definitely let us know and we will talk to you next time. Have a good night, everyone. Good night. <laughs>